Uh, the honorable members have joined me. Yoli has joined. Why do lie about it? There are, there are how many co-hosts? There are three of them. Ulawan, David, Lindsay. And then, I can say honorable members have joined. Hmm? Let's start the meeting. I can see that at least we are 37 and I see the honorable members. I see the whip. I see honorable Masango. Jalon, 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 Jalon. We'll get the, the introduction when we open. Uh, let's just bow our heads for a minute or seconds just to start the meeting. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. Honorable members, you are disturbing the meeting. I just want to officially open the meeting and wish to greet everyone in the meeting and welcome everyone in the meeting. And I know for a fact that we have been joined by Home Affairs Department. I also wish to welcome them, but we have not to waste time today. This meeting needs to be out by at least half past 12 or at one, one o'clock. So there are two presentations today which we are very happy that they have managed to join us, but they will introduce themselves. Uh, I'll give an opportunity for us. Recording to in progress. Uh, who is assisting? I understand that uh, Lindy is on study leave. Who is assisting us? Yoli, who's assisting us? Morning, Chair. Uh, Morning. Miss yes, Hanim Davids. Okay. Uh, Hanim, can you please assist? Magavelli. Magavelli. Yeah, show Hanim. your face, Hanim, and introduce yourself to the members. Good morning, Chairperson. I'm Hanim Davids. Um, I'm assisting um, the committee today, standing in for Ms. Um, Tabo. Okay, thank you very much, Hanim. Good to have you in our meeting. Thank you very much for your indulgence and your assistance for the committee. Then, Hanim, can you tell us who is in the meeting from the side of uh, SOCDEV? Um, I'm not sure about the attendance um, for the department. Um, but I, I have the attendance for the members and the apologies. Her name, I'm talking about the members, the ones that are present. Or can we do this way? We request the honorable members to introduce themselves so as to know one another in the meeting. Myself is Nongo Simvana. 
can I get anyone from social development to introduce herself and show her face or his face? Thank you. Next. Good, good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, everybody. Alexandra Abrams. Thank you. Hi, Khoji. Thank you, Khoji. The next one. Good morning, Chair. Good morning, everyone in the meeting. My name is Bridget Masango. I'm the member of the Portfolio Committee on Social Development. Thank you, Chair. Teaspoon. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the next one. Morning, colleagues. I'm Honorable Liesel van der Merbe, a member of this Portfolio Committee. Hi, Liesel. Thank you. The next one. Good morning, uh, good morning, Honorable Chairperson. Good morning, uh, colleagues. My name morning. is uh, my name is Dihang Stock. I'm a member of the Portfolio Committee. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Stock. Whip of us. The good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Chair. I'm Honorable Letitia Aris, a member of the Portfolio Committee on Social Development. Good morning. Oh, new spectacles for 2022. Good morning. Uh, the next one, I know that uh, Honorable Mutawong is pre also present. Over to you, Honorable Member. Show your face. Good morning. <clears throat> um, my name is Marie. I am the new Portfolio Committee member from the EFF. Thank you. Thank you. You are? Yes. You are? Paul Nittemarie. My name is Paul Nittemarie and I'm from the EFF, the new committee okay. member. Thank you very much, Marie. Welcome. 2022 Social Development Committee. The next one, the last. In fact, two last. Where is Meijing and and Honourable Mutau? Make it snappy, Honourable Members. Okay, seemingly they are not there. Uh, for now, they are not ready to introduce themselves. Can we then request uh, the Department of Home Affairs to introduce themselves? Quickly. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, greetings to all the members of the Portfolio Committee of Social Development. My name is Njabulo Nzuza. I am the Deputy Minister for Home Affairs. Uh, today here, I am with uh, the Director General for Home Affairs, Mr. Tommy Makote. I would request that he turns on his video so that we can see him. There he is. And uh, I am also with uh, Mr. Thomas Sigama, who is the DDG uh, responsible for civic services. I will request Mr. Sigama to also turn on his video. There is Mr. Sigama. That is the team from the Department of Home Affairs at a high level. Thank you very much, Chair. Welcome, DM. We are happy to be with you in this meeting. You are all welcome, DM. Thank you very much for that. Uh, can we get to the honorable members that are here from Home Affairs? Are there any? 
None. No honorable members have joined us from the department. Can I get indication, honey? No one. Okay. It's fine. Can we give over to the officials from SOCDEF? Over to you, Acting DG. Linton? Am I talking alone? Honorable members, am I audible? You are audible, Chairperson. Yes, you are, you are Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. Where are the officials from social development? LinkedIn. Introduce your team. I don't see them, Chair. I only see uh, Sabina Shapulosa, who's a special advisor to the minister. Let me just find out from Mrs. Lindy if I'm able to get hold of her. Maybe she just, just check with them. But okay. we are not going to waste. But whenever you get the answer, you can just raise your hand and, and inform us what has happened. Uh, DM, hope you are ready with your team. Time is expensive. I know for a fact that you are supposed to join other things. Can we give over to you for political uh, briefing or whatever that you think you have to share with us? No, thank you very much, Chair, once again. Uh, on the 15th of February, we received a request uh, from the Portfolio Committee to come here today to make a presentation in response to the issues that we raised during the public hearings on the Children's uh, Amendment Act. I think uh, we have been here before uh, to make contributions, but subsequently, I believe the portfolio ran a process through public hearings and uh, as such, there were issues that we raised. And that is why we're here today. In, in the main, those issues have to deal with the rights of unmarried fathers uh, towards the registration of their children and the prohibition of uh, child marriages in line, which is in line with our proposed uh, new marriage policy, as well as issues relating to undocumented South Africans and non-South African children, which uh, is mostly referred to as statelessness, as well as the association of international adoption to human trafficking. I must say that as a department, we have the responsibility of uh, issuing documents, but also issuing them to people that uh, are allowed by law to have those documents. We also have a responsibility to balance issues of security of our nationals vis-a-vis -vis the interests that they have themselves. And also we're requested to deal with the issue of long queues and some of the efficiency issues on how we manage home affairs. 
We've since prepared the presentation, Chair, to respond uh, to respond on the issues that have been raised, and also to give clarity on how we are handling those issues towards uh, their resolution. I will just may like to take three high-level issues and uh, to give perspective on them. The first one is around the issue of citizenship, and uh, I just wanted to make this point clearly before we get to the presentation that in South Africa, for a person or a child to qualify for citizenship, uh, they follow the status of their parents, which means if one of their parents is a South African citizen, then a child does qualify uh, for South African citizenship. And uh, we then give the necessary documentation, starting from the birth certificate, ultimately an identity document, and we process them as such. So I'm making this statement because I sometimes believe that once a child is born in South Africa, then that child qualifies automatically for citizenship. What we'll normally do is to issue what we call a notice of birth for the country of that child to then register child. But basically, you must have a parent who is a South African, or you must have been born out of a South African parent, whether the mother or father, for you to become a South African child. But then the presentation will then enter into those matters uh, in more detail. In, the, in, the, in the, 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 the Department of Home Affairs is in the process of changing the marriage, uh, poli the, our marriage policy regime. Uh, it's gone through some of the uh, uh, committees of cabinet and it's going to be going through to cabinet now for final approval and consideration uh, of relevant for the purposes of this meeting is that the policy will formally banish uh, child marriages which means under in no circumstances will uh, child marriages be allowed uh, subsequent to the approval of the policy there is an issue which has been a standing pain on us, the issue of the long queues that people suffer from our department. It is a really painful thing that we are dealing with, and I would like to assure the committee that almost every day, just uh, two days ago, we are having meetings to look at ways of resolving those issues. Our approach is a two-way approach. One, it is about uh, technology and network infra and, and network architecture on how do we improve our systems, but also it is also has to do with how we, we handle the queues when they come into our offices and how we train our staff to act in a responsible manner and find ways to manage those particular queues. Part of the things that we are trialing now, which is now at a uh, feasibility state, we're running it through some of our branches, is the uh, appointment system, which is now up and running, but is still on pilot. Uh, that will ease the issue of queues by making sure that clients are able to book uh, appointments before they come to our system, before they come to our offices. Now, the other issue is around uh, the rights of fathers. We are aware of the court's judgment that has been issued, and I think the presentation will dive much on how we are implementing that particular resolution. Well, in registering a child, it has become much easier for mothers because obviously there are no internal control systems that will have to come with a mother registering the birth of her child, particularly at our health offices. But we have had the difficulties when it comes to fathers in as far as internal control mechanisms and for discontent, which really required us to then set up a prerequisite issues like the DNA test and so on. Because you will know that uh, for a mother, if they've given birth to a child, 
if there are fraudulent activities that come with it already, the natural internal control mechanism kicks into place where you will find the mother that will say, no, in a year or within a period of three months, I've given birth to two children. Then you can immediately detect that as fraud. But it has sort of become difficult when it comes to fathers. And that is why we had to introduce those particular internal control measures. I just thought I should just bring some perspective on those uh, three high-level issues and then request the uh, DDG Sigama to then take us through the presentation. The Director General will then end uh, after Mrs. Gama has taken us through the presentations. After that, will then be in your hands, Chair. Through you, I will then allow Mrs. Gama to take us through the presentation, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, DM, very much. Uh, at least you have just uh, paved the way on where are we going to. But uh, let's give over to that particular person uh, to do that presentation. Thank you very much. The only thing that I have forgotten is to acknowledge uh, the Department uh, Justice Department. Seemingly, they have already joined us. And I'm happy to see that also from social development, uh, Ms. Isabel has just joined us. Otherwise, I was very angry with them. Thank you very much. And uh, we are going to give time to justice uh, to introduce themselves when they are going to present. Can we give over to that relevant person that DM has spoken about? Thanks. Over to you. Thanks very much, Honorable Church. Thanks very much, honorable members. Uh, thanks very much, DM. Yes, my name is Thomas Sigama. I will be doing the presentation. I'll request that the presentation be flighted on uh, slide mode. Yeah, thanks on my presentation. I'll cover the purpose. I'll deal with the vision, mission, and value statement of the Department of Home Affairs. I'll also help make sure that I deal with the mandate of Home Affairs, our legislative framework. Uh, the issues that were raised during the public hearings as outlined by uh, the Deputy Minister of Home Affairs this morning. And amongst others, Chair, uh, we have noted that we, have, we were requested to deal with issues of unmarried fathers and not allowed to register their children, prohibition of children marriages or being allowed to for children to who wish to, to get married, expensive paternity tests, which is DNA, which are not affordable for, uh, to many fathers, especially those unemployed, undocumented South African and non-South African children, delays in certifying adoption applications, and end to the association of inter international adoption to human trafficking, and the long queues and inefficiencies at home affairs as outlined by the Deputy Minister this, this morning. Lastly, we'll then deal with the recommendations. The uh, purpose of the presentation chair is to present to the Portfolio Committee on Social Development responses to the issues raised during the public hearings on Children's Amendment Bill. Then uh, in terms of the vision, uh, which I think most of us know are aware of, but uh, let me just make sure that I reiterate that. In terms of the vision, it's a South Africa where identity, status, and citizenship are key and enablers of citizens and empowerment and inclusivity, economic development and national security. Our mission as indicated, uh, the DHA carries out its mission in line with its commitments to citizen empowerment and inclusivity, economic development, 
and national security by being an efficient and secure custodian of citizenship and civil registration, and also by securely and strategically managing international migration, and also by efficiently managing asylum seekers and uh, refugees, and lastly, uh, by efficiently de determining and safeguarding the official identity and status of persons. So we, our value statement, as you can see, we are really people-centered uh, and caring. Uh, we are patriotic, professional and showing leadership, effective, efficient, and innovative, ethical, and having integrity, security conscious, and as well as the development oriented. In terms of the mandate of home affairs, I think this, uh, this is key for all of us. I was saying that DHA services are divided into two broad categories. The first one is that of civic services, where we service people out there, and you'll see that uh, most of our outlets there are full of people. And the second one is immigration, where we also deal with refugees. First mandate is management of citizenship and there's civil registration. Second mandate has to do with management of international migration, while the, the third mandate has to do with the management of ref refugee protection. Uh, the next slide, uh, which is the slide that deals with the legislation and policies, I won't go through all of them, but I'll only zoom to those that are specific to the discussion today. Of course, the first one has to deal with the constitution of the public, because we are all really uh, rally around uh, the same constitution. So the Birth and Death Act, Act number 51 of 1992, it's key, together with its regulations and the various types of marriages. Firstly, uh, we have to deal with the civil marriage, Act number 25 of 1961. We have to deal with the recognition of customer marriages act, which is Act number 120 of, nine, of 1998. As, and the last one being the Civil Union Act, which is uh, Act number 17 of 2006. So the rest indeed is a package that supports us to administer the main legislation. And of course, on the second page, we have to deal with the Identification Act, when a person has to apply for documents, when you have to amend, to rectify, we have to consider that. And the one that follows, I think DM has articulated on that act at length, colleagues, I want to bore you, I don't want to bore you much on that, which is Citizenship Act, with its amendments. And uh, really, the bone of contention here is the first point where we're requested to respond on the first item that has to deal with unmarried fathers not allowed to register their children. This is one area which is being administered through the, in terms of the Birth and Death Act, which is Act number 51 of 1992 as amended. And indeed, if we were to zoom into section nine, that, refer, that then gives notice to, it gives rise to us to make sure that we register birth uh, within a particular date, which is section nine of the Birth and Death Act which then gives rise to, to us to make sure that we then uh, make sure that anyone then who gives birth has to make sure that the birth is registered within 30 days. And uh, that notice as, uh, as prescribed, if we don't do that, indeed there could be additional information required. And then section 10, I think the one that uh, uh, also then gives rise to the notice of birth of children out of wedlock, that's the, this the area wherein Indeed, the department was taken to court, and uh, we were then challenged in that manner. And it, it reads as follows. It says, the notice of birth of a child born out of wedlock shall be given under the surname of a mother or 
at the joint request of the mother and the person who in the presence of the person to whom the notice of birth was given acknowledges himself in writing to be the father of the child and enters uh, the prescribed particulars regarding himself upon notice of birth under the surname of the person who has so acknowledged. That's the area wherein indeed the court uh, indeed took a decision say this matter is uh, declared unconstitutional and uh, we the department was then under the second page uh, we were also requested to make sure that we go back and then make sure that we revise that particular area so the department has since implemented the order in its uh, practices and currently receives and uh, the practices application made by the unmarried fathers without consent of the mothers so the department, in view of the judgment, is currently effecting the necessary changes on the act itself. However, when see through this judgment, we are now allowing fathers to then bring their children for registration. As DM also indicated earlier, there are controls that are put in place. We have to then look into the regulation and make sure that we get uh, really the, the, the real fathers to come forward and they then bring proof uh, uh, so that we then uh, register uh, their children. Uh, as per the act. So the next one uh, that we were requested to work on was uh, on slide 10, which is prohibition of, of uh, child marriages or being allowed uh, to register as they wish. So that's uh, an area which is also uh, within our civil marriages. And maybe one can just go back and indicate that, as you are aware, the department is, is administering three types of marriages. The first one is based the civil marriage, which is uh, Act Number Twenty Five of Nineteen Sixty One, and we also have the recognition of customary marriages, which is Act Number One Twenty of Nineteen Ninety Eight. We also have the last one, which is uh, the Civil Union Act, which is Act Number Seventeen of Two Thousand and Six. So, in this case, we are referring to the Civil Mar uh, Marriage Act, which is Act Number Twenty Five of Nineteen Sixty One, which also makes provision of a minor child to marry. Uh, uh, as contemplated in that particular act, and we had to zoom into specific sections. And here we are referring to section 24 of the Civil Marriage Act, uh, wherein uh, it deals with marriages of minors and provides that no marriage officer shall solemnize a marriage between parties of whom one or both are minors unless the contents of the party or parties which is legally required for a purpose of contracting the marriage has been granted and finished to him in writing. We also then uh, pay attention to section 24.2, wherein we're saying that within the very same marriage act, it provides a definition for purposes of subsection 24, 24 subsection one of a minor and the states that a minor does not include a person who is under the age of 21 and previously con contracted a valid marriage which has been dissolved by death or divorce. So those are the sections that we have zoomed in and we were saying under those uh, we church children marriages really will not be allowed except where they are concerned. But as you are aware, in the slide that follows, uh, the department is in the process of uh, really working on a marriage policy as the deputy minister has indicated. And indeed we are reviewing some of these sections. And once the police, the marriage policy is concluded, we will be able uh, then to share all those sections and also make sure that all those issues that were raised 
uh, before are now uh, revised or removed completely within the marriage uh, regime itself. So section 26 also pays reference to the same area that I've just spoken to, but what is more important is item number three, which is the last one, where it says, if the minister so direct, it shall be deemed that he granted written permission to such marriages prior to the solemnization thereof. So if there are minor children that wish to get married, they have to get consent, and those documents have to be referred to minister for minister mm -hmm to then uh, direct us on whether those marriages should be allowed or not. So, so that's the, the situation as it stands. But the next slide, as I've indicated, it deals with the current uh, practices and the changes that we are about to bring to the, towards the marriage, the entire marriage regime, wherein we're saying that the department is currently in a, in a process of developing a marriage policy. And in this regard, the policy advocates for the prohibition of child marriages in line with South African's international obligation. So those areas are at the advanced stages. We had public hearings uh, recently, the white paper has been drafted. So we are really in, at a place, at a, at, at a level where we think uh, come 2022, 2023 financial year, we should be able to share uh, the, the new policy around uh, marriages. So the issue around uh, the DNA test, as twice requested uh, for, from the department, need this one area, which is administered through the Birth and Death Act, which is Act number 51 of 1992. But if we pay, uh, pay particular attention to section seven of the same act, that section then empowers the director general with a duty to verify, supplement, and rectify information as contained in the National Population Register. This is very important because if you then look at this and also make reference to section nine, then wherein the, the, we then uh, require the, 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 the child to be registered within 30 days, then this section just supports to say, in case uh, uh, the mother or the parent was not able to then register within that particular day, uh, uh, those particular dates, then the parents may then, the director general may then uh, request additional information or certain documents to supplement whatever information that the parents may bring. And thereafter, then the, the Director General may require a person who has finished any, part, any particulars in terms of this act to finish the Director General with the proof of the correctness of such particulars. So that's where now the conclusive proof of paternity uh, uh, will, will have to be required as additional information. But if you have, you have registered that birth within 30 days, then conclusive proof of paternity is not required. So, so that's the most important aspect. And where the birth is registered after 30 days, then uh, the rule section seven kicks in, wherein conclusive proof of paternity may be required. This is dependent on the circumstances of a particular case and where there are doubts. So we don't apply this across the board. But there are cases where you find that the mother parent is not giving us sufficient information. That's why then we, we keep on requesting more information so that we can be sure that the child which is being entered into the national population register is a legitimate child. And you have to make sure that indeed we keep our population register intact. And where there is doubt and when the parent is not providing us with sufficient information, that's the area where we then a request that they then provide us with additional information in a form of, a, of, 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 of DNA. So, so we urge 
all parents to register their children within 30 days to avoid all those uh, 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 documentation or supplementation uh, for, for, for before the child could be registered. So the next question was around the undocumented South African and non-South African children. Uh, that's the area where indeed uh, the department, together with the Department of Basic Education in particular, uh, specific schools, they assist parents to register uh, birth uh, who are not in position of birth certificate. As you are aware, person, uh, both the Department of Home Affairs and the Department of uh, Basic Education have entered into a memorandum of understanding wherein we've got programs throughout the year to make sure that when before the schools reopen, we then enter into that particular program and have a window where we allow if any person whose birth has never been registered to then come to the fore so that uh, before they enter into the, the, the schools, then they have that set certificate. We also have a program throughout the year with, just with learners that are about to write me click, wherein we run through all the schools to make sure that we collect the applications and uh, before they sit for the exams, we have to make sure that they all have their identity documents uh, uh, for the seat for the for the for the examination, so that's one area where if there's anyone who's not documented, we focus into that uh, uh, project, and we have to make sure that they would then give those that would deserve uh, documentation to make sure that they are also registered in the national population register. The second part has to deal with undocumented and South African children. This uh, it's part of the immigration uh, uh, function, colleagues. When the Immigration Act, Act uh, uh, number 13 of 2002, then regulates the issuance of visas and permits to reside in South Africa. The Immigration Act further requires any person, including a child, to be in position of a visa or a permit. So, so my colleague will also uh, add more flesh on that, because as per the education policy, we don't, uh, the policy does not allow us to expel children at school but they have to, they always encourage that they then get proper documentation so that their, their stay in the country can be regularized. So immigration policy not, uh, then kicks in and the department together with the Department of Basic Education in particular, then assist those uh, parents to obtain the necessary visas to enable the child to continue with schooling. And where the child is found to be in need of care, a, a contemplated, uh, as contemplated in the children's age, the, the, the department refers such a child to the Department of Social Development. Then there was also a question around the delays in uh, certifying adoption applications. As we thought here, maybe, Chair, we need just to outline the process so that the uh, honorable members, including the chair, can understand how we run this process. So we're saying that the process to be followed uh, when noting adoption is as follows. We expect adoptive parents uh, to visit the nearest Office of Home Affairs to submit the application documents. In this case, we're referring to the adoption order, the report by social workers. And once all those documents are finished, the department, we then look at the validity of those documents, we verify them, and immediately after that, we enter the, the details into the National Population Register. And the, the output or the product becomes a birth certificate. Then when we're dealing with all these aspects, we have to make sure that the validity of the information furnished is correct. And we also have to make sure that all the parents who are included on the order are also verified 
with the respective departments. And this case is our social development as well as justice. And once everything is verified, we then allocate a new ID number and then issue them with the so-called unabridged birth certificate. So the turn, turnaround time for finalizing the in application and noting of that of an adoption, it takes six to eight weeks. So if all documents are in order and all verification has been performed properly, we then make sure that we register and issue documentation within a period of eight weeks. However, uh, in the process, Chair, we encounter a lot of challenges. And amongst others, this include uh, the in incomplete documentation that are received uh, from adoptive parents. And when we then uh, follow up with them, they take time to come back to us. And that also delays uh, the process. Verification of submitted documents, since we are working with other sister departments, also takes a bit of time to get feedback. And lastly, the retrieval of uh, our uh, original birth records also takes a bit of time. You may have noted uh, that uh, Minister recently also spoke about the digitization of paper records. This is solely because most of the records that have to be used to verify uh, the parents are in the, uh, in the paper form, and that requires us to run to our archives where we search for those records prior to the noting of such adoptions. So those are the challenges uh, in summary, uh, Chairperson. And then the next issue was around the an end to the Association of International Adoption of Two Human Trafficking. So here, uh, I don't want to say much because the, the process largely follows what I've just indicated before. But uh, as I've, uh, I've indicated before, the department processes in relation to registering uh, adoption are based on the adoptive parents submitting the adoption order as well as the adoption uh, registrar and social development. So they had to follow the same process. We have to make sure that we verify with our department to make sure that whatever document that has been uh, submitted are the correct documents. And only when everything is in place, then we had to make sure that we enter those documents and hand them over to our immigration colleagues to look into some of their documents that are required. So any delays on the part of DSC affects the timers registration of the orders. So, so I don't want to dwell much because we also have our own meetings to try and check uh, whether there are challenges on the other side. But we have also picked up that indeed the same challenges that are experienced on the side of adoption is also the same challenges that we are experiencing on the side of immigration, wherein really we do receive incomplete documentation, delays in verifying documents, as well as the retrieval of uh, the original record so that uh, the, the child can be uh, uh, registered properly in our national population register. Then the long queues elements, uh, those are the issues that uh, uh, DM I think, has already touched on them. And as we have indicated uh, the, in our program statement, we're saying that the long enduring queues emanating from high client volumes caused by front office space, you might have seen some of our offices that are very small, they're not able to accommodate majority of the, of the clients that are visiting us. Issues around unstable systems, our networks and applications, I think this is something that, that is also causing problems on our site. The inefficient workflow processes and uncoordinated uh, communication strategies, particularly when our offices are offline. You'll find that at times there are delays in terms of communicating that we're offline or also to inform clients uh, how long it will take us uh, to really get back online. 
So this really get to un unsatisfied clients, which contribute to neg negative publicity, denting the image of the department. So amongst others, those are some of the factors. We are also having problems with capacity, efficient management of queues, the concurrent running of manual and automated systems, uh, the uneven distribution of offices based on demographics. I think we all know our history. Most of our offices are centered in urban areas, but less in our in, in rural offices. However, we're also putting mobile units to make sure that we, we deal with the ills of the past. So the misinformation, poor signage, and lack of uh, flow management is something that we're working on. So the, in terms of system challenges, I think uh, our deputy minister had alluded to some of those. Wherein even previously, I think yesterday and uh, last week, we experienced really, really severe or serious uh, network downtime. So surely one of the issues that really exacerbate the problem along those lines is the power supply. First one being the load shedding, our UPS, which is not up and running, generators that are also uh, in offices, but sometimes find that they're not working. And the second one is really is about uh, cable theft and vandalizing police wherein when you wake up in the morning, you get to the office, find that the, 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 the cable that then terminates networks towards the office, find that it's really stolen, and that, that, that also caused problems. The also aging of equipment, and uh, there are some of the issues that we need to deal with internally. So, but to really summarize, the system challenges are, are really due to network then downtime. And we are also working closely with our, 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 our city department to make sure that they help us in upgrading some of the areas that are really uh, having a dilapidated network equipment. So it's really CETA is really helping uh, uh, colleagues so that we then resolve the problem. And we are saying as uh, part of the upgrade uh, and also part of the agreement with the CETA, they, they are saying that they will also assist us in upgrading most of the switching centers as you are aware, at times you find that when you are the Botford view, when it's down, it affects the north, Bumalang, and some of the surrounding uh, uh, offices. So those are some of the things that CETA committed to work us, with us and the expansion of CETA core network in order to reduce regional network outages. And uh, lastly, is the exploring alternative services and service providers, wherein we are now, as you are aware, we've got about 100 mobile units that are out there, and uh, they are deployed countrywide. And we're also saying we really need to add more so that we then also uh, take services to people rather than for, for clients to come to our offices. So, so those are some of the things that we are dealing with in terms of the network. So operationally, uh, as you recently, the department really had uh, serious challenges where we were inundated with high volume of clients that came. So we then uh, looked into the high volume offices uh, wherein we then came up with a strategy to address the areas where we don't have managers. And that really had to assist us because we just received approval from National Treasury, wherein they then give, gave us additional funding so that we then try and then fill those, those uh, spaces in areas where we don't have enough uh, managers. Then we're saying that also front office space that are not purpose-built, and we are saying we're also using our mobile units uh, to make sure that they assist with collection. So we've configured them. So you'll find that we pack, it, uh, we pack a mobile right in front of the office so that, that mobile units assist us in terms of uh, collections. We have also now looked into some of the provinces wherein we have demarcated our offices so that we, can, we have spaces on solely for collections. For example, you go to Mtata office right now, 
you see that we've demarcated our office of uh, in data wherein applications are separated from collections so when you collect you go to a different uh, venue but when you apply you go somewhere so that helps us in terms of segregating our queues counting you got rent back it's the same as you enter to be one queue but when you are inside there is the premise we have split we decided to split it into two you've got a group where, you, where if you are to collect you go to a certain area and there's an area for application. Same applies to Lukwane office, Western, uh, in Western Cape, we've got Wenbeck, and that those are some of the things that we're trying to bring to the fore so that we then segregate our clients as and when they come and collect their documents. So we are also uh, uh, encouraging our official, uh, officials out there to open offices earlier so that we cater for learners, so that those learners can then go back to school as early as possible, the elderly as well as people with disabilities. Then we'll have also um, make sure that we separate queues while you're inside according to products. If you are to apply for smart card, you'll see there's a separate queue. If you are to apply for, to collect for, for, for your passport, you see. If you are to register the birth of the young ones, which we encourage most of the parents to, to then register them in the most health facilities, uh, then there's also a separate space for them. So both birth and death, really, we encourage parents to then go to our health facilities uh, to register them so that then we avoid stampede and long queues in our front offices. Then the last one is to deal with the, the issues around infrastructure and footprint expansion, where I've also indicated that uh, we have got about 100 mobile units and two of those are now dysfunctional, but we have procured additional 10 mobile units so that we then lessen really the, the, the stampede or the influx in, in our front offices. So the, then we have planned to make sure that the 10 additional mobiles are distributed before the end of this financial year. And as part of the outreach programs, um, most of the colleagues from DSD are aware, we always invite them to our outreach programs so that they will join hands. Then you will see that we utilize our mobile units uh, to, to assist clients so that they don't have to visit our front offices. So that is always uh, implemented in far-flung areas. This week and last week, we were in Western Cape, and we had to stay there the whole week to make sure that we clean out those, those uh, clients who never had an opportunity to visit our offices. So that's a year-long kind of program where we move around provinces to make sure that we then uh, allow clients to come and apply or collect their documents without necessarily visiting our offices. Then last but not least, Chairperson, we... we are uh, now in, uh, piloting the so-called booking system, wherein we then allow our, our clients to enter into our uh, website. You see there's an icon which says booking system. Then they choose the slot, which would then indicate the date, the time in which they'll come and collect their documents or apply for their documentation. And once it's secured, we have now introduced dedicated lines at our front office so that those who have made some pre-bookings, they just go straight to that queue, make their collection or apply because they've done some work before. At the moment, we have, we have, we have piloted it in eight out of the 24 offices that were identified by the branch civic services. And we also are also using the 28 banks that are out there because those ones indeed, they've been uh, on pilot for some time, but they are also uh, capable and are able uh, to then uh, allow clients to perform some bookings. And uh, from time to time, 
we are also receiving messages that indeed uh, the system does work at the banks and most of the of the clients are being assisted uh, at that level. So I think this brings me to the end of my presentation. And it is recommended, Chair, that the Portfolio Committee on Social Development takes note of the report as presented. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Oh, thank you very much uh, for the presentation. Uh, I would like to get from the committee members, how do they like uh, the, pre the, in fact, the presentations do we want to continue with home affairs, I mean with justice, or do we want to um, discuss about this, the one of home affairs, and then followed by justice? Can I get the indication how the committee wants us to? Okay. Yes. Chair, okay, I think we must discuss the presentation and then continue with the next one. Must discuss this presentation. That's the proposal. Yes, seconded, Chairperson. Seconded by Honorable Lizelle. Okay, now I can see a string of hands. Let's get into the discussions. Otherwise, thank you very much for the presentation, Omar Fares. Thank you, TM. Now, there are things that are a little bit clearer, but we do have questions. Can I then give the hands that I see? I see Honorable uh, Aris, Honorable Masango, followed by Masango, and Honorable Lizelle is the third one, and Honorable Stock, then Honorable Alex. Um, there's also Honorable Opperman, and then Honorable Shongo. Honorable Mfong, I don't see other ones. I will give them chance if they want also to engage with the presentation. Thank you very much. Can we give the first um, hand? Yeah, Aris. thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much, Chairperson, um, to the Department of Home Affairs. Thanks for the presentation. Um, I think, Chair, where do we did have the public hearings with the children that did come physically to Parliament? There was this young child that was in the country for all her life. She did go to school in the country. She did enjoy all the rights and the benefits that children in the country receive. But in the meantime, her uncle or something did pass away. But... A problem has started once she has turned 18. Because that child, the only country that and the only home that she know was South Africa. And I want to know from the department because then that child couldn't apply for an ID document, but she's been in the country all her life. How are the department going to deal with this with this children that are in the country all their life, that don't know any other country? They are like citizens in this country. How are they going to deal with it? And then the other thing that I would also like to ask the department, I have seen recently that there's 180,000 Zimbabweans that face deportation. Again, it boils back to those uh, uh, Zimbabweans that have children in this country. How will they deal with their children? Because their children... Uh, in the schools of, 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 of South Africa, 
etc. And I want to know if they deport the, the, the parents, how will they um, deal with these children that are attending our schools? And then, Chair, there's another issue um, in terms of the children that is outside adoption, outside the borders of this country. Again, I want to find out from the department that what if their children, um, you know, are not happy with their adopted parents? Is they and and will the children forfeit their the, the, the South Africa citizenship? And how will they deal with that? And then, um, Chair, there's one issue that I am the Department of Home Affairs in Nelspruit. I want to state it, and I want to say it on record: it's pathetic. Because we have a situation that we are dealing with, I've even sent it to the minister's office, where a person is really struggling just to get a simple thing like birth certificates for his children. He did go through paternity tests, he did go through whatever, and the arrogance of the manager of that office is saying that I'm working 27 years old, years at this department, and no one will tell, no one will say to me or tell me or touch me. It is a total unacceptable situation, and this person is is being sent from from pillar to post, and we really need to look urgently into that matter. This person is a South African citizen, but he have dual uh, uh, citizenship, and now they are just having these ball games just because. Um, uh, you know, we have take this issue up with the, with the Minister of Home Affairs Office. And then um, there's another issue that I would... The also, last like, one. The, the last, last one. one is the last one, Chair. It's the last one. Uh, it's the last one. I want to know how they will strengthen the, 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 the services specifically in the provinces that is close to the borders of South Africa, because that is where the most, because they must give us a plan on how they will strengthen their services because that is where the most undocumented children are. And then um, I just want to ask, uh, find out the court, the court find uh, there was a groundbreaking uh, uh, court. What do you call it now? The, there was a groundbreaking uh, uh, case in the high court, sorry, case in the high court of Pretoria where they say that unmarried lesbian couples brought a case to the high court which result to a groundbreaking judgment. I want to know that um, those parents that have, that both people in a relationship in which children is conceived through artificial insemination should have legal parental rights. I want to know from the department, since the department allow a biological father and mother to be, uh, you know, um, accepted as parents, how will they deal with this situation? Because right now that that um, both parents that will raise their child are legal, has been seen as legal parents, but that child also has a biological father. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh Honorable Aris, I should have not started by you. Uh, honorable members that will follow Masente, copy what you have done. Uh, comrade Mas uh, honorable Masango, followed by Honorable Lizelle. Thank you, Chair. Um, may I please not put my uh, video on? I seem to be struggling with the, with the connection. 
I just want to thank the Department of, of Home Affairs for this presentation, uh, which has uh, actually made um, it very clear that we have more challenges than we have, um, you know, than, than we, we are able to make sure that the North Gauteng High Court judgment is um, expedited uh, to make sure that the foster care crisis is, um, is, 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 is dealt with. Chairperson, I don't have many questions at all, but to me, it seems like the, the, the laws uh, or, or even the regulations are in place to ensure that everything is done according to, um, according to what needs to yeah, give it to Yeah, okay, thanks. Okay, um, okay, I was saying that uh, it seems like the laws are in place and the Department of Home Affairs ha has done everything in its power to make sure that it um, go it works according to, um, you know, the laws of this country in, in terms of uh, birth and, and, and death registration and everything else that it needs to do. But for me, it looks like the oper operationalization of the law and its regulations is a huge challenge. For example, Chair, the one question I want to, to raise is that we still have parents, adoptive parents, that is, that claim that the department's turnaround time of six to eight weeks for the birth uh, certificates to be issued uh, is, is not in, in place at the moment. There are those that wait up to three years for their children's birth certificates to be issued, which then is a, is a problem, again, because you need the birth certificate for um, the, the foster care orders to be issued and, and, and even for adoption for that matter. So we, we are in a catch-22 situation where we're trying to, to use the bill, to amend the bill, to facilitate processes, but it looks like the challenges that are faced that Mr. Um, Sigama outlined earlier on uh, are, are so overwhelming that we may have done a good job in the amendment of the bill, but when it comes to the to the front line, to when this law is being operationalized, we are still going to experience a lot of 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 uh, of, of challenges, and as a result foster care crisis will not be averted as a result. And Chair, also, uh, I would like to just say that um, the, 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 the adopt, adoption is, is, is taking longer and it is harder for the adoptive parents because of these challenges. And also want to find out from the Department of Home Affairs if this presentation is based on, on the issues that were raised in during the provincial uh, the provincial hearings, or it is based on the entire uh, uh, public hearings, national and provincial, and actually also if the department has also uh, referred to the amendment bill, as it were, to see what what sections actually are are, are talking to the department 
of home affairs and their, their role in the, in the facilitation of the foster care in, 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 in South Africa. Thank you so much, Chair. Uh, 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 Lizelle, followed by Honorable Stock. Thank you, I'm Mama Chairperson. Thank you very much, and greetings to our colleagues, and also to my colleagues from the um, Home Affairs Portfolio Committee, where I also serve as a member. Chairperson, thank you very much for the opportunity. I will try to be brief. Um, firstly, I heard Mr. Sigama saying that the Department of Home Affairs is now implementing the NACI and CCL court judgments um, pertaining to fathers being able to register their children, but that is unfortunately not the situation currently on the ground. And I would like to also just remind um, the Department of Home Affairs that even in our last meeting last week, Honorable Ruiz uh, even mentioned the fact that when he went to a Home Affairs office to register his daughter, uh, he was unable to do so, and that was within the first 30 days. Uh, he was told that they're not aware that this uh, is the case. And so fathers are being told that they need paternity tests as a default response in all cases, not in specific cases, as Mr. Sigama said. And the problem here is that the Constitutional Court specifically said that imposing paternity tests will impose unacceptable barriers. So my questions for Home Affairs have you issued a directive to your officials informing them of the court judgment and explaining how they should practically implement this court judgment? Uh, if so, I want to know whether we can be furnished as a committee with that directive so that we can be informed about what is in the directive. Because the problem is that requiring paternity tests for unmarried fathers, um, you know, when they South Africans really do impose barriers, considering that they are required to pay upwards from 2,000 rand, and it's not possible in all cases. I did hear recently that the Department of Home Affairs might be offering free paternity tests, and I just wanted an indication in that regard as well. 3%. I would like to know with teenage mothers, we've got a high prevalence of teenage pregnancies, and I would like to know why does the Department of Home Affairs not allow mothers without IDs to register their baby's birth using their own birth certificates and that 13-digit number on the birth certificate because it is the same number that will eventually be part of their IDs when their IDs are finalized. Um, on the issue of uh, orphaned and abandoned children, I want to know that under what circumstances can a relative apply for the late registration of birth of the child and what section of the, of the act are we basing that on? Um, and then, you know, I want to go lastly to this very issue of, um, and I did mention this in our portfolio committee uh, when we met with Home Affairs recently, that, you know, I think the Department of Home Affairs, uh, I wonder if they really recognize the crisis that we are facing, because in all of those provinces that we went to, Chairperson, it was almost like it wasn't the Department um, of Social Development or the Portfolio Committee of Social Development visiting those areas. Um, all the issues people were raising were about home affairs. It was about the long queues. It was about officers not being responsive to the needs of our people. And most importantly, in all of those provinces that we visited, the outcry was about undocumented children. And in most instances, close to the border, DG and Deputy Minister 
uh, people are talking about um, undocumented children from illegal foreign nationals who are within those communities and they are roaming the streets. And those were the words of people who came to the to the hearings, roaming the streets, they're not being looked after, they're not in school, they don't have proper documentation. And I often speak to the department about what I deem as an uh, immigration crisis in our country. And I would like to know what is the plan? What is, because Mr. Sigama says, those parents must come forward to be documented. But in most cases, those parents don't qualify for documents, which means also their children won't qualify for documents. So then at the end of the day, it becomes an issue where uh, we, we have to, we can't just say we notify in the country of birth that a child is within our borders because, because we need a plan in terms of how we will address the issue of illegal migration undocumented migrants, because at the end of the day, it is a crisis and we need a plan. And I want to know what the department's plan is. And finally, before I step off, I want to just support Honorable Aris on the issue of the Nalspread office. Honorable Aris and I have for the better part of last year been trying to, to um, assist a client with getting birth certificates, a South African um, man who wants birth certificates for his children. And really the hostility and the um, unhelpfulness that emanates from that office has really been um, quite traumatizing, I must say that. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to ask the department if they can tell us how many banks currently offer um, home affairs services. Thank you for your indulgence, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Rizal. The next one is Honorable Stock. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Let me also join my colleagues to uh, appreciate the presentation, uh, which was quite detailed and comprehensive by uh, the Department of Home Affairs. Uh, but I must also, again, to a large extent, <clears throat> agree with uh, those who are saying it looks like we've got more challenges than solutions. Uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, I've got just a... Uh, I think about three issues that I want to raise, which I want maybe the department to clarify us on uh, such issues. The first one is that, uh, uh, for an example, a child who was born out of a, a, a marriage between two foreign nationals, or, okay, let's say if these two foreign nationals are not married, a child who was born out of that relationship, a parental relationship, uh, I mean, a child born out of that relationship. Uh, does the child qualify for, uh, I mean, to be protected by the Children's Act or does the child also, uh, I mean, for foster care grants and all of that? If the department can just clarify us that. And there are situations as well that uh, uh, maybe for an example, you find there's one foreign national and then there's one South African, they're involved in a relationship and out of that, there's a child born there. What happens in that situation? Uh, one foreign national, one South African, uh, in such instances, uh, what happens there? And then my second issue, Honorable Chairperson, is that uh, the 30-day registration that the child must be registered within 30 days. Uh, I think the department must be able to uh, maybe look at it and then uh, indicate as to how the situation is practical. Uh, for an example, coming to the rural areas, uh, where in the Eastern Cape, throughout the provinces, and then most of the people that came there from the rural areas of KZN, uh, Eastern Cape, the Northwest, and so forth. Uh, they were coming and saying, uh, like for an example, uh, someone goes to a hospital to go and 
give birth to a child, and then that person must be able to register the child within 30 days. Sometimes it becomes problematic because the hospital uh, where the child was born, and I know I've noted in the presentation, Mr. Sigama said, uh, I mean, uh, 30 days, uh, and then there's a, there's a, there's a local registration a person at each and every hospital. Now, that thing is not practical because, Mr. Sigama, I want to challenge you in this fashion. Eh? Uh, like, for an example, I was deployed to one constituency without mentioning the name. In that hospital, there's no one uh, that has been allowed there or maybe there's no registration process or registration facility from the Home Affairs Office that is actually uh, located at that particular hospital. So my issue which I want to bring forward here is that in the public hearings which we had, there are a number of people that came and said, no, look, I give birth to a child, uh, I get the treatment from government, I'm unemployed, and so forth. After giving birth to a child, uh, I must again pay transport coming from the rural areas to go to a nearby hospital where I'll be able to uh, register my child for birth. And then that person must now uh, uh, make a comparison uh, whether the, he must, she must go and register the child now or she must budget and maybe register the child after a later stage. So it becomes a challenge. And then I think it has also been raised by a number of our people in the public hearings. So I would like the department just to clarify and say, how do they deal with such situation in instances where the child was not registered for 30 days? And then uh, in the offices where we know that uh, those hospitals or clinics uh, where the children are born, uh, there's no facility to register or there's no function to register the child for birth. What happens in such instances? And then Honorable Chairperson, my last issue, uh, I think it was quite similar to the issue raised by Honorable Aris, but I just want to converse it a little bit different. Uh, when we had the session with the children in Cape Town, the closed session, uh, one of the children also who raised an issue with us there uh, was that uh, she was uh, she's a child of uh, two foreign nationals. And then this child has been qualifying, has been getting, she is a recipient of the foster care grant. She was a recipient of the foster care grant for quite some time. And then up until she reached 18. And then from there, um, uh, she could not even qualify to get, uh, I mean, uh, to, to register for an ID or to get government services and all of that. So the question that came into mind here is that, are you a South African citizen only up to the age of 18 when you are born, when you are a child of two foreign nationals? And then after the age of 18, you are no longer a South African citizen. If the department can also clarify me in that issue. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Let me not waste your time further. Thank you very much for being patient with me. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Stock. Can I request Honorable members that have already spoken to drop their hands in the gadgets? Uh, you, Honorable Opperman, is to follow in Honorable Songo. Good morning, Chairperson. Thank you. Oh, for by the way, I'm sorry. There's Honorable Abrams after um, Honorable uh, uh, Griselda. Honorable Bonita signs also. Honorable? Marie. Bonita Marie. Hey, you are not the spokesperson. Okay, continue, Honorable K. 
Giselle. You have message Jane. Sure. Thank you, Chairperson. Alex. Yes. And then from thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you for the opportunity. Good morning to all the colleagues. I went through my notes last night and the overarching theme in Northwest was the plight of undocumented orphans. I'd like to know from the department, how do you handle the many undocumented orphan learners in Northwest, considering that they are on the platinum belt and there's a lot of migration, a lot of interprovincial travel, a lot of border crossing. How do you handle that, especially in Northwest? And there was a plight from the residents of Moses, Katane, local municipality, that the department put programs in place to assist traditional leaders with documentation for orphans. I want to know, is that possible? And do you have any programs in place to assist the tra traditional leaders? Then in Makwasi Hills in Northwest, the residents said that illegal foreign nationals exacerbate the problem of undocumented children and the borders need tightening. So I want to know from the department, do you have any idea or plans in place for a collaborated approach between yourselves and the sister departments to address this issue? And then I want to know from our department, social development, in December 2020, Minister Zulu launched a 19 million program called Children on the Move to assist undocumented minors in South Africa. I want to know how many of the almost a million migrant and refugee children has been helped with documentation through this Children on the Move program. And then uh, a theme that came up a lot through the public hearings, everywhere I went, I heard that if you don't have a birth certificate, then you cannot um, go to school, you cannot get the child support grant, you cannot write matric. So I came back home and I asked myself if this is true. And in fact, um, the courts held in December 2019 in Grahamstown by Judge President Salbi Mbenengeng that a child, a child has a right to education and it extends to everyone within the boundaries of South Africa. And no child may be blocked from accessing school because of documentation. So the clause 15 of the admission policy for ordinary schools of 1998 was found unconstitutional. So I want to know what is the department doing on their behalf to discard the untruths on the ground and to implement the law. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Can we follow, Alex? Yes. No, Chair. Are you? Sorry, Chair. Um, Sorry, Chair. Yeah. Is it me or Alex? Alex, first, because I should have given Alex before Kize. Sorry for that. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you to the Department of Home Affairs for the presentation. Um, Chairperson, I share my colleague's sentiments that the presentation we've been provided here today um, does not equate to the reality on the ground. Um, a classic example of that is when we were in Pushpak Ridge, Mapumalanga, 
you know, they spoke um, about the mobile units, that when the mobile units are in the area, they are always offline. And then the mobile unit leaves and they don't see the mobile unit um, for quite some time thereafter. And chairperson, you know, the internal capacity challenges and internal network challenges and all the challenges um, home affairs are facing, you know, one could argue that these challenges that are internal um, largely are actually infringing on the rights um, of our children in this country. And it's something that we need to take uh, very seriously, Chairperson. So my questions uh, to the department, um, I'd just like to know, what is the relationship or is there a relationship between home affairs and ECD forums? Because we learned a lot in, during the public hearings that ECD principals um, and these ECD forums have a lot of undocumented children within their ECDs. So I would like to know if at a provincial level, a district level, is there consultation um, with the ECD forums to get this um, sorted out? Then, Chairperson, Mr. Um, Sigama mentioned that they do a run through the schools um, to assist matriculants with IDs. And um, Chairperson, we have over, what, 23,000 public schools in this country. And noting Home Affairs um, capacity challenge, I'm just trying to understand how this is all possible, how, how quickly we run through schools. And I would like to know the Home Affairs doesn't have to give me the information now, they can perhaps send it in writing. But I'd like to know what are these particular schools that they are mentioning? Um, I think it is on slide, on one of the slides, they said they, they ran through certain schools. And I'd like to know why certain schools and not all schools um, gets visits from, from home affairs. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the issuing of IDs, then chairperson, I'd also like to find out whether or not um, Honourable Aries and Honourable Stock mentioned specific issues that came out of, um, you know, the closed hearing with children, but there were also a lot of other issues that came out in the public hearings. And I'd like to know if this information of specific cases and specific home affairs um, problems have been handed over by our um, social development um, committee to home affairs and is home affairs taking up those specific problems? Because chairperson, you know, many of the members of public, they stood up there and they spoke to us as if we are gonna, you know, solve their crisis and solve their problems immediately. And now no one comes back to them. And I would just like to find out if Home Affairs have that information, if they'll be going back to those specific um, cases. And then lastly, Chairperson, I would like to find out because I know um, because of COVID, um, this was stopped. And I just would like to find out if Home Affairs will be doing it again, if we can access the service that if we have a group of like, say, you know, um, 50 um, young people who are wishing to apply for their smart IDs, um, you know, noting that they can't always get to the home affairs offices and spend the whole day there, transport costs, et cetera, if home affairs are coming out to communities on request, um, and if they are doing this, um, who is the contact person for Cape Town? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Alex. Uh, it's Honorable Musongo. 
Thank you very much. Honorable Neti. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Greetings to honorable members and the Department of Home Affairs. Chair, I've got just uh, a few questions. Uh, one would be, in a case whereby um, a South African parent had an ID before, but that ID got cancelled or was blocked for some reasons, how do those parents then get to register their children? And also, Chair, seeing that the 30 days period of registering children is, is a difficulty because of a number of uh, challenges people from the rural area especially faces, can't the department look into the matter of extending the 30 days maybe? And then um, lastly, Chair, what is the department's view on the proposal to make paternity tests uh, free or cost free or more affordable for society? What is the view of the department there? Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Nshongo, followed by Honorable Nedi and Jane, Honorable Mangan. Is it Polnita? Who's this? Is it a new member? Yes, yes, Chair. Um, uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. Is it my turn to speak now? Can I speak? Yes, it's your um, turn. Chair, um, um, I'm coming from Bloemfontein in the Free State. And as you know, we are in the middle, um, in the middle of the Free State, and we're having a massive problem. And in Bloemfontein, we're having a massive problem where the lines is every day very long, and all the mobile um Officers are not working. They are always offline, or they don't have something in the in, in the thing. Um, my question that I want to ask the department, because this is one of the departments that we are struggling with in, in Bloemfontein and also Valcom and the whole of the Free State, because of the the the, the migration of people all the time. We have children um, that 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 where the fathers maybe staying in Bloemfontein and the mother come from the. To, and then when they have a child, the, 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 they cannot register the child because the mother is from a certain the father is from South Africa. We're having that problem where children attend school from grade R, crash and go to high school. And when they are finished, they cannot go study at the university because they don't have a birth certificate. Um, the other problem that we are having is when the fathers, uh, the mothers coming from Masutu, the fathers from South Africa, they want DNA tests, and the fathers are unemployed, they can't afford the DNA tests, and it becomes very difficult for the grandmothers that is assisting the children to rear the children to 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 get um, the, the the money from from social development to support the grandmothers and the grandmothers are one that is always looking after the children, and then I just want to know. Um, um, I have, I've been working the, the farm um, schools and I have eight orphans in the one farm school where the mother and the father passed away. But because the principal has been at the school for 35 years, she knows the whole family of the farms there. But the principal is trying to get birth certificates for these children because she's allowing the children to be in the school there. Um, the department is making it very difficult um, for her to get birth certificates because she knows the child since the child was born. She knows the family's history and all that, but getting a birth certificate for that child is, is very difficult. And the, and the principal has asked me for assistance. So I'm very happy that we are discussing this thing today. Um, I would like to know how can Homo face assist with those children that, 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 that basically don't have mothers and fathers. And then on this thing of fathers 
going to register children without the mother's knowledge. I think that is going to be a problem because a lot of fathers just want the child to have the father sending, but he's never involved in the child's life. He haven't been there since the mother was pregnant. So that is going to create a lot of complications at the end of the day. And then also on social development, um, Chair, is that um, a father, the mother take a child to another province. The father tries to get hold of the child. You go to social development, social development is saying, no, the mother is right, but the father don't have any access to see his child because the child is in another province without his knowledge. They just remove the child. And when the child gets to the other province, the mother doesn't even look after the child, after the, child the, the, the family, the neighbors call the father, say, hey, come fetch your child. But social development is the one that is saying, no, you cannot have a child. You cannot come and visit your child because the mother got the right for the child. So that is there where we're also having uh, a problem, um, Chair. Um, the other thing that I want to say is that this 30 days registration is basically a very difficult thing because we are surrounded by farm areas. And when the people come to hospital, they come and give birth and they are on the farms. Like the previous speaker was saying is that uh, my daughter gave birth and there was a lady with her in the same um, ward. And the mother, I could see the mother doesn't have a birth certificate. But now because the mother doesn't have a birth certificate, the child is not going to have one. The child is going to have the same problem that the mother is having. And we all know on the farms, they have a problem where parents are drinking a lot. You can see the problems that they're having on the farms. So it means that child is going to have difficulties um, when the child grow up to go to school and to university. I want to know what the department is going to do about that, especially the rural areas where these people are, are working on these farms. And then what I've also um, experienced personally as a counsellor, when I was a counsellor in the municipality, is that um, when a person of, of who passed away, you can't get the certificate for the person to take the body from Bloemfontein to Lesotho. It's a problem because there's no death certificates. Um, how are we going to um, go around that problem, um, Jay? If the department can give us answers on that one. But as far as the Lesotho and the Africa problem is that uh, basically we are neighbors and basically we are one, but we, we cannot get certificates because we are coming basically from two different countries, even though we are in the middle of each other. Um, we can't do anything about that. So yes, we're having a problem with 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 with, with department of 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 of, of um, to get IDs to get to get um, birth certificates, and we are struggling, really struggling with the Bloomington offices because there's queues for for that is every day like that. So we if they say they have these office that they can take these mobile offices. Um, but they are not working. They don't have all the things in the things in. But they are saying in the in this um, program they have just showed us now in the slides they showed us now they have 98 mobile offices, but they are not really doing anything because they are not online at the moment. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you, uh, Honourable. Is it Jay? Honourable Mangani. And then followed by uh, Honorable Bilankulu. She will be the last one so that we can be able to give uh, the department to answer in some of these questions and concerns. Over to you, Honorable Mangani. Honorable Jay. Not yet connected. Uh, can we get, uh, meanwhile, Honorable Kate? 
Thank, thank you very much. You you affording me the, the opportunity. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, thank hi, you. Hi, I'm around. Okay, let me speak. I'm having a challenge of network, Chairperson. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, honorable members, uh, I, I, I have to echo what honorable members uh, they have said. I appreciate the uh, the briefing by the department and most of the questions they have answered me, but this one I didn't hear it coming clear from the department. Uh, in my area, in my area in Northwest, most of the people who are staying in this province, the, they have married people, uh, women from outside the countries. So the challenge in terms of uh, uh, the challenge in terms of uh, them getting the ID of, for or the birth certificate for their child is very much difficult. They can't even get it because uh, the the father can't make it. I hear the presenter says the law, but it's going to take a long time. People, children don't go to school because the, the school will give them three years to say after three years, you must have made sure that you have got all the documents for, for, for the mother to be able to take the ID. But it takes years. And then the child uh, can't even go to, uh, to the university, can't even write the matric. So I wanted to know the how part of it, how is that is going to happen? Because what the national is saying is not what is happening on the ground. And then we have really a serious, serious challenge because most of women whom I'm talking about, they are they're foreigners and then they are mental, they are not stable. So the kids are just suffering outside. So I need, uh, I wanted, uh, because this question is one of those that we have during our uh, public hearing. People ask us, the, the chairperson I'm sure she remembers, when the hall was full of uh, most women who are foreigners saying, we are here. Our children, we can't do anything because our husband can't even take the ID for our kids. So, Mena, I'm saying what the department is saying, it should cascade down to the to the uh, uh, their offices. The, the last one, is this one when somebody is falling? LRB. Uh, uh, people who come from uh, other provinces, my brother ferry these people to go because it's a challenge really. People have grown in the, in the farms. They are they were working, they don't even have, you have to trace the 
with another woman. Can't the department find a way of doing these things because on the child's birth certificate, there is the name of the mother and the child. Can't they find a way of permitting that the mother, the permission to do everything for her child, even if there is no consent of the father? Bearing in mind that it may happen that it can also pose a challenge for those uh, that will happen not to be their biological parent. The second thing, Chair, is the issue of dysfunctionality of offices in a sense of having long queues and sometimes the system is down. But you find that the department is not communicating that thing in time with people. Why can't they make it a, a law to say if there is this thing, like maybe they're, they're experiencing a load shedding, or maybe the system is off simple because of other challenges. Maybe they get a slot in a... Um, maybe in their local radio station, and also the way of communicating with the local municipality to, in order to ex, to disseminate this information to the society that the office won't be in use for a week, or we are facing this challenge as an office for this period, so we want our community members to be aware of. Because in most cases, I want just to give an example of Gian, you'll find that people are there for a week without getting any help. And they, those people were not aware of what is happening there. So can't they find a way which will be easier and simpler for our people to know what is happening with their offices? The last thing, thing Chairperson, is the issue of citizenship. Uh, like here in Lipompo, you'll find that there are a lot of uh, foreign nationals. Some are here for more than 30 years because you may find that they have kids and the kids now has passed even grade 12. But the, the challenge that they are facing that they don't have IDs in order to go to the tertiary. How long does it take for foreign nationals if they're in our country for, for some years to be permanent, uh, to get permanent citizenship? While on that other issue again, you will find that there is a situation where a woman comes from our neighboring countries. Let's say, let me give an example of Mozambique or Zimbabwe. Meanwhile, that lady is highly expectant. After a month or so, that woman gives birth. And uh, because that woman gives birth in our, in our country, it means that child now is eligible to get the birth certificate in our, our country. And after getting all that, the mother and the child goes back to his original country. But at the beginning of each and every month, you'll find that those foreign nationals are coming to our country just to get benefit 
like social uh, social grant and back to their uh, hometowns. What is it that the department can do in order to monitor this situation? And again, most of these people who are staying here for some years without having proper documentation, but they are getting uh, access of, let's say for, for kids that get, are going to school uh, and they are also going to the hospitals in order to, to get treatment when they are, they are not well. And you'll find that the people, the our South African people are suffering or they end up not getting proper help from our country simply because they are sharing what, what is due to them with these other foreign nationals. Because the, the foreign nationals are, all, are not registered or they are not appearing in our register in order to say, let maybe if the, the municipality is asking for the grant, they'll be saying they are good, they're having this number, so they qualify for this. But because those people are not in the register, they end up benefiting, but and you find that those that were supposed to benefit at the end of the day, they are not benefiting. What is it that can be done by the department and our government in order, order to solve some of these critical issues? I thank you, Chairperson. Okay, thank you, Honorable Bilangulu. Oh, okay. Chair, I forgot one question. <laughs> okay. Majay. Yes, Majay. Hey, I'm struggling, Chair. Last, uh, when we were in free state, when we were in free state, the, the, the one senior staff member says to us, in, uh, the, the, the issue of um, the best certificate in, in most area in free state, they are not struggling. Because they went, they goes to the ambassador of uh, Lesotho, who stationed in Free State. So I want to know. I'm still asking this question, Chair. I want to know how. Is it legitimate the best certificate direct from their ambassador? And then the. the the last one is this one that we have given people citizenship. When they are tired of staying here, they go back to where they come from. But every month, they come and get grants with us here. Now they are benefiting twice. They are staying at their homes there, but they are consuming the money. I want to know how do we solve it. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Medjay. Thank you, Chair. Honorable I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. I know you want to go to answers, but I also forgot one yes. question, which will take one second. Okay. Thank you, Chairperson. I forgot to ask whether the Department of Home Affairs has got a joint protocol with our DC Department outlining the roles and responsibilities of the ref, uh, respective officials with regards to late registration of orphaned and abandoned children. And if, if there's such a 
joint protocol, whether we could be furnished with that as a committee, please, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Honorable Lizelle. You are the one who's supposed to assist us as a member of Home Affairs. <laughs> but thank you very much, uh, Honorable Members. You know, uh, uh, DM and, and your team, we've been longing to have a meeting with you. There's lots and lots, strings of questions that communities were asking during our public hearings. Even ourselves, where we stay, uh, we do have some questions to ask from the Department of Home Affairs. But uh, you know the protocol and also the way on how we deal with these issues. We had to hang on and waited and waited until we have this time around. So don't be surprised when we ask lots and lots of questions. If you can, you can uh, respond to them today. But if you are unable to answer some of other questions, rather than to just answer in any way, you rather uh, write them down as the other member requested you to do so. When I was doing the public hearings, Oganye, when we were doing public hearings, uh, SABC uh, interviewed me. And uh, they asked some few questions in terms of these undocumented uh, kids, because we're going around for the children's amendment uh, bill. Uh, they request, in fact, they asked a question on how do we deal with these children? because uh, uh, practitioners from ECDs were, were flocking in these meetings and they raised this thing of undocumented uh, kids. The TV had a, 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 I will say, headline saying, the chairperson of social development is saying, um, foreign national children will get benefits in South Africa. That was the topic or heading. Tried to explain that it doesn't belong to us as social development to give documents to kids, but it belongs to home affairs. So whoever has a document from home affairs as social development, we are free to give them benefits. Remember, there is that uh, allowance uh, or that uh, a subsidy that comes from social development then, where they count the number of kids and then they give subsidy according to the number. If a person has a document, a kid has a document or certificate or birth certificate, whatever, Tina is social development. We can't say this one doesn't belong here. This one belongs to that area and other ones. I'm happy that uh, honorable members has raised these ones of borders because in Northwest, if the state in Pumalang has lots and lots. I just want to ask a question that is saying DM and the team. Out of the mobile offices that you're talking about, can't you first prioritize and look at the largest uh, townships to have the satellite offices or those mobiles? 
because the long queues you get them in these areas that have got big townships and you get one office. If I may make an example, Islander. People have to wake up at 3 a.m. and stand outside until 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock until offices are opened. I don't know this way. They are trying to their level best to do it by giving them numbers and all that stuff of things. But can't they open up the office in their plan? Looking at these townships, because Mdanzane is the second largest township following Soweto. Bumalanga has got lots and lots and strategize in your plan by placing these mobile uh, offices or satellite offices. I just want to stop there because most of the questions, I don't want to repeat uh, these issues because in Lesotho people, we are from Lesotho with another uh, department, Department of Water. They are saying, why don't we, as its members, members of parliament that are requesting South Africa to do away with the border gates. You know, we couldn't answer them right now, right then, because that issue can't be just said, oh, no, we'll discuss about this and that. But home affair is also responsible. And this thing of the border gates doesn't, in fact, belong to, to water affairs only. It, it is a, an integrated program that needs to be discussed and look at the integrities. Just now, Honorable Jane has made mention of people that are coming from Lesotho, taking our monies here and going back on the day. They are just crossing in and out. You don't know exactly what is it that is taking place. Thank you very much, man. I don't want to waste time. Otherwise, we can ask other questions outside the meeting because there is also justice that is waiting for us. Thank you very much. Over to you, DG and the team. Uh, we will introduce the team from SOCDEF. They've joined us, but very late, but they apologize by saying that they are part and parcel, especially uh, Mahlatsi, is it Mahlatsi? The one who was going around with us in these public hearings that we were faced with. Thank you. No, thank you very much, Chair. I think we have taken note of the questions as asked by members. I will request that we take them in this sequence. We, I forgot to introduce the, the DDG Human Resources, uh, who is currently acting in that role, DDG Sefanye Tsomolife, who is also with us. I will request if there are any questions that she takes and then allow uh, Mr. Sigama to follow suit and then DJ, I will then try and wrap up uh, once they have uh, taken some of the questions. I will request them to be brief. I know that we've received quite a substantial number of questions. Some of them indeed will have to respond to them in writing due to time constraints that we have. Can I then request the uh, chair through you that we take them in that sequence in dealing with the questions? Yes, yes, DM. We can do that and we allow you to, to, to write other ones uh, and respond it in written form. Thanks. Then let's check DTG Sefenyatum Life, followed by Mr. Sitama and uh, DG Makwate. 
Thank you, uh, Deputy Minister and Honourable Chair and Honourable Members. Good morning. I, I, I've been following uh, uh, DM. I couldn't pick up any, any matter that, that could have been related to me unless I have missed it out. However, I will appreciate it if, if, if that could be raised, uh, then I can respond to it. But I, I, I couldn't pick up uh, a specific one that, that, needed, that needed my response. However, if there is any, I will, I will take it up. Thanks, you. Then let's then take DG Sikama and then DG Makwate. Uh, thanks very much, Deputy Minister. Thanks very much, Honorable uh, Chairperson and Honorable Members. Uh, I'll start from the beginning. There were questions raised by Honorable Leticia Aris. Uh, it's all about uh, the problem that was that started uh, when uh, the child was born and uh, doesn't know the country of birth for the rest of her life. Uh, how do we go about that? So indeed, as you are aware, colleagues, there was also a court judgment of that uh, about Maria Ali versus the Department of Home Affairs, wherein indeed in terms of citizenship, uh, we were then uh, given an order to make sure that we then take all those children and uh, follow the adjudication processes within the department so that those uh, children could be, uh, that they could be regularized in the country. So we indeed, we, we have those, those kids, but they have to visit our nearest offices to lodge applications upon adjudication then they'll be give, told of the outcome if a part of the adjudication chair it includes verification of documentation and to check whether indeed whether it's true that they've they don't know any other country or they've never been to uh, any of the countries that mm -hmm. are alleged so then the adjudication then will take that process and make sure that they they, they then uh, uh, grant them a citizenship if they deserve so I will then uh, not speak about the 180 Zimbabweans. I believe DJ will talk to that one. We take note of what has been raised about the spread office, and indeed we will then really uh, like to see if ever we can be finished with some of the documentation so that when we get to the area, at least we can then zoom into the specific cases that the uh, Honourable Member has raised. I think, yes, uh, that, that will then be the the way to resolve. Then there was uh, there were questions raised by Honorable Masango in terms of the adoptive uh, parents, where they are now claiming that it takes up to three years, and there are delays. The issue of uh, six to eight weeks may not be proper. I must indicate in our presentation, I think we were very clear. We do receive applications, but most of the applications that are received, you find that they are either incomplete. Some of them, you find that when we request for additional information, the parents don't come forward. And also on our side, as we've indicated, most of our records are in paper form. And then we have to go back to our archives uh, to then draw other, our, our paper records so that we then match whatever the parent is claiming that it's her information against the, children, against the child. And once those things are verified, then we are able to run through the process. Our main challenge are of parents who don't respond or coming back to the department. And we also indicated that we are now at the stage where we would like to digitize all our records. Some of them are partly digitized, we're working with SSA, but now we've been given uh, some budget to make sure that we then uh, enter into a massive drive to digitize all our paper records. And we hope that will then speed up the process 
of, of, of verifying information as submitted by parents, because we want to make sure that we deal with legitimate cases uh, rather than just say no documents are, are submitted and without proper verification, then you find our officials trying to allocate ID numbers. So we try, we acknowledge that there's that delay, but we want to make sure that only deserving cases do receive or are recorded in our national population register. Then, uh, Honorable Lisa, uh, yes, uh, there was a question raised by Honorable Boos uh, uh, and in, in, in the Portfolio Committee for Home Affairs. And indeed, as Home Affairs, we indicated that, yes, we did receive the court order. It was circulated to all offices. However, we are now making sure that we update our SOPs and immediately after that, we are now uh, training. As we speak right now, uh, we, our officials are in KZN. They are now moving throughout the country to make sure that we train them on the reviewed SOP. That includes also the issue that was raised by Honorable Ross. But indeed, the court order, as indicated, was circulated. We'll just double check with our, our legal services if the directive were, is, is ready for circulation. Then uh, free partner uh, paternity test. I think that was another question that was raised by Honorable Ross. Uh, I would like to indicate, Chairperson, that as we have indicated, the Act allows that when the parents uh, come to a home affairs within a period of 30 days, it has, they, they we don't even request for additional documentation. That's the first category. And we'd like to alert all parents out there to make sure that immediately when the child is born, let's make use of the facilities that we have to register and make sure that before we leave that health facility, that child leaves with a birth certificate. Then the second category are for those parents who never had an opportunity to register. I'll try and cloud this with the one on children born in farming communities. I think it was raised by Honorable Polita. Yeah. Then, uh, Honorable, yeah, the second category in terms of birth registration, if parents were not able to register birth uh, within a period of 30 days, however, there's another level wherein we then the, we request that parents then come, they then indicate reasons why they were not able to register birth within 30 days. Those ones are categorized into two forms, 31 days up to one year, there's a small committee constituted in offices where they then ask you and then you finish us with documentation on, and reasons why you were not able to disappear within that, a particular period. Then after one year up until 14 years, yeah, then there's another bigger committee that also now also sit with immigration and everybody does just to evaluate and check why are we not able to register our children. Then the last one is the is, 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 is a category of those that are called traditionally called late registration of birth or LRBs for those that are 15 years and above. That's where now we set up appointments, we call uh, uh, informants, guidance, parents to then sit uh, for an interview and then tell us and give us all supporting information so that we, once we have got all the information, then we register them. Then if all fails, if all fails, that's where now we then say, according to the documents and verification that has been performed by the department, including immigration officers, 
informants as well as guide, guardians that were uh, furnishing the documents, we, we don't see any link or there are no sufficient reasons for us to, 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 to then register the child. That's where we then now devote to the issue of paternity test. That's the last resort, which we normally don't encourage, but we like people to utilize, to utilize the window that we have indicated in the legislation so that they then make use of those categories without necessarily being uh, forced to uh, go for paternity, paternity test. However, if a child really is born between a South African and non-South African, Indeed, if it's within that period, that child automatically we then classify that child as a South African, provided we then get the documents from the other party. But if one parent is a South African, we normally classify that child as a South African uh, after verification of the documents provided. Uh, there was a, a question around the banks. Uh, Honorable uh, Lazar, we have got 28 banks uh, that are currently linked. Uh, they are rendering services. And they are spread across uh, provinces, but mainly during the, the, the pilot phase, we had concentrated on Gauteng and uh, Western Cape. We find about 17, 16 to 17 are in Gauteng. Things five to six are in Western Cape. We have now extended our pilot to other provinces, such as KZN, Eastern Cape, uh, Limpopo, uh, Mpumalanga, also have one in the White River. And that's the, those are the areas uh, wherein we have connected. But we plan to then make sure that we extend our pilot beyond the 28. And uh, if we then uh, get the necessary resources, we should be able to roll out more than the 28 that we are having at the moment. Uh, there was a question from Honorable Stock. What happens to a situation where a child is born between SA and non-SA? I think I've, I've covered that. So when a child is born between a South African and a non-South African, then that child is a South African by law. So should there be any other uh, challenges on the ground, that's where now the non-South African will then have to produce documentation for purposes of registration, and then we then link that child, that child to the non-South African as well. But by law, the child becomes a South African. Then uh, I'll leave questions pertaining to immigration and then focus on those that are, are for uh, civic services. Uh, there was a question around the 30 days and the transport. Maybe here, one, what one can indicate, Chairperson, is that uh, we see the need of us now uh, working closely with other departments. We've seen it before. As a department, we have formed the so-called stakeholder forums wherein uh, the stakeholder forum is comprised of various uh, departments and they, we have got uh, coordinators or chair uh, at the level of councillors, district mayors, and so on and so on. And those are the people who point us to the direction where services are required. So through their directives and the department, we then jointly then set up outreach programs and also be directed to areas where services are required. So those stakeholders, so stakeholder forums are key for us because they, they point us to the direction where services are required. We may not be at the, that, the, the, the pitch of it, but we hope with time then we'll gradually then find the footing on how best we can render these services uh, to our clients that are in need of our services. Uh, undocumented Honorable Gisela, undocumented orphans, uh, 
and the use of uh, uh, traditional leaders, illegal foreign nationals, a plan to address such programs. Yes, indeed. We, in terms of our our, our regulations, we, we, we when you have got orphans uh, that are cared for, either by social workers or by any by bodies that are formed out there, all we need as a department is a so-called social workers report with all the required documentation and home affairs together with their team, then they will then set up an appointment to then look into all the documentation that that body has. Then from there, then they put up a, 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 a team that will assist with registration. Uh, when, when, when our resources allows, we prefer that we, we visit those homes, but at the moment, they set up their own committees and set up appointments in various offices uh, to deal with uh, the offense in groups so that right at the end of the day, we make sure that their, their stay or, uh, is regularized in the county. So we use, normally rely on a DSD to give us such reports so that such kids can be uh, registered. Uh, there were questions, uh, Honorable Chair, around the, 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 the mobile units that are not visible. Now, indeed, with this, we have got 100 mobiles as I've presented. They are spread across provinces. And what we did was to make sure that through stakeholder forums, uh, school principals, uh, as well as the district uh, 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 formation of districts that are out there, they then draft a plan for the whole year, wherein we will then find that per region, they'll indicate these are the areas that, that, that the mobile will be visiting. And we are now guided by them stakeholders on the ground in terms of when and where do they need those mobiles. They are not owned at head office level. The province, together with stakeholder forum members, they coordinate and give us a plan. That plan is then consolidated into a, an annual program for the department so that in case there are challenges, then we know where to go. However, we have, we have placed a few at head office level so that when they are projects or specific wherein communities are in dire need, when there are disaster, uh, flooding, fires, so on and so on, then those specific uh, uh, mobile units are then directed to those areas, then to work closely with the councillors after we've received the disaster management certificates, and then we then make sure that those people are, are, are serviced. We, yes, we admit that the, the, the 100 are not enough. The 10 that were procured may not be enough for now, but what we want to do is to make sure that gradually, as and when we receive the budget, we then extend our services from urban areas to far-flung areas, particularly in the deep rural areas, so that our clients can then receive the service. So the, we are working closely with the Department of Education. There is partnership with them. Uh, uh, there's an MOU which is in place, and that also helps us to make sure that we, as, uh, we then provide learners with the documentation that are required, either for them to sit for a metric or for them to, uh, or for them to to then uh, get documentation in a form of a birth certificate. Now the the rest I don't want to labor much. We will have to uh, indeed uh, look into the document and then send a submission uh, to uh, the committee. Uh, thanks very much, DM, and back to you. Thank you.
Just briefly teaching, and then uh, I'll, I'll try and sum up. No, thank you so much, DM. Uh, uh, thank you, Chairperson, and thanks, uh, honorable members, for the questions. Maybe let me start by taking the, the issues raised by Honorable uh, Opperman with regards to uh, the borders. There's work that's underway uh, between ourselves uh, and uh, the Department of Public Works uh, and Infrastructure with regards to securing the uh, borderline. And in the month of uh, March, as you have heard from the Minister of Finance, uh, we will be uh, going through the market uh, through the uh, request for proposals looking at uh, the redevelopment of six land ports, which are mainly the big ones, uh, Maseru, uh, the Bombo, uh, Bright Bridge, and, and others that are uh, closer related to, to those. And then there's work that uh, the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure is currently doing around ensuring that uh, they secure the, the borderline. So this is ongoing work, but uh, it's a matter that uh, we're paying attention closely to. Linked to that, uh, Chairperson, you would have noted uh, as part of protecting our borderline, uh, the, there's an advert that has been uh, sent out by the Border Management Authority. It's a new outfit. Uh, um, currently uh, linked to the Department of uh, Home Affairs, which we hope at some point uh, will be a standalone uh, authority. That's dealing precisely with uh, border management-related issues. This week, they've advertised uh, for about 200 positions uh, looking for uh, people that uh, will assist us as border guards to look at the borderline. Then there were questions raised by uh, Honorable uh, Abrams, Honorable uh, Aris, and Honorable uh, Polnita with regards to the request for mobiles. And I think, Didi uh, Chisikama, we can share the uh, current uh, program for the mobiles. And uh, for sure, we should be able to incorporate uh, some of the uh, requests that are being made uh, by the Honorable Members who have done the same with the Portfolio Committee on uh, Home Affairs. And then uh, there were issues that were asked with, I think Gidi Chisikama has responded to the bulk of this, but there are a number of initiatives, uh, honorable members. We are currently working with uh, traditional leaders, for example, uh, honorable Mangani in the Minga area. As you know, it's an area that's closer to Mozambique and the other related areas of Zimbabwe, where they've sent us a list of uh, undocumented young children that are currently at school. So we're, what we have done, we have set up a, a project team that's looking at some of those uh, communities. Similarly, we're working with the Department of uh, Justice uh, to look at areas that uh, Honorable Fandar uh, Mierve referred to us at some point around White River and all those areas that uh, committee members uh, would have visited. So I think it's important that uh, we projectize some of these uh, initiatives uh, so that uh, next time we come before this committee, we're able to provide an update with regards to the progress uh, that we've made in that area. Honorable Chairperson, you raised an issue around East London. We've made a lot of interventions in that office, including redesigning the workflow process uh, in the office. Uh, if you were to go there, you'll be able to see a number of changes. Uh, we've capacitated uh, King Williamstown, and we've reopened Danzane, for example. Uh, it's one of uh, our pride in terms of how the offering uh, services, uh, it now offers all services uh, uh, that Home Affairs uh, uh, offers. So we are making those inroads and then linked to that, there's infrastructure initiatives uh, where we have started. If you, you, you look at the bulk of our challenges are related to 
the the infrastructure that we have or the offices that we have where people have to stand outside. Uh, we've now registered 15 offices with the presidency uh, project uh, office that's looking at the uh, infrastructure uh, to uh, either uh, uh, ensure that we have a PPP for those uh, offices so that we're able to build fit for people's uh, offices. If you were to look at uh, one of our offices uh, that's currently operational in Josikasike, a new modern office uh, that uh, enables people to uh, be able to access services within the comfort uh, of uh, the uh, a secured uh, environment. Similarly, in Kopane, there's construction, which is almost done. Uh, we've done the same in Koyando, we've done the same in uh, Daung. And as, uh, as these infrastructure projects come on board, we should be able to address some of the issues that have been raised by uh, honorable members. Lastly, TM, uh, uh, there is an initiative uh, that uh, we are working with the UNHCR, uh, in particular to look at how we can bring on board uh, embassies, uh, because they do have a responsibility to provide consular services to their own uh, uh, citizens that are in the Republic of uh, South Africa. Lesotho recently did the same uh, in uh, November, December, uh, when the Minister of Home Affairs came through to South Africa and they were able to do some of the registrations that are being referred to. And similarly, the UNHCR has indicated that they'll be able to provide us with support for these initiatives that I'm referring to in uh, both um, Bumalanga. Uh, however, I think we need to take cognizance of uh, the challenges that are posed by a colonial boundaries chairperson. For example, if you go to Mbuzini, you have a community that uh, still highly depends on activities that are in South Africa, but also in the, historically, they've been uh, one community separated by a border. How do we then deal with that? And there are initiatives where we are looking at that. Uh, similarly, in Manguzi and Tsidila Mulomo, which borders uh, Botswana. So those are some of the initiatives that we currently are working on, and we should be able to uh, come and provide uh, an update to the committee. Thank you, Dean. No, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Uh, just on a few issues, I think some of them will be able to respond to them in writing as suggested. Uh, let me firstly send our commitment to this uh, portfolio committee that we are hard at work to deal with issues of how we improve our service offering. The pain that is being felt by our citizens is a pain that we also feel. And uh, our focus there is primarily on information technology, as well as infrastructure improvements. In terms of infrastructure improvements, we have done some. If you look at the new offices that we are building in Taung in the north uh, west, there's some that we are dealing with in the northern parts of Wazulu-Natal, the Lusigisigis -Lusig one being built, another one around the Vembe area. So we are hard at work in making sure that we improve our service offering. The issue of mobile units, they are there not to solve the problem completely, but to provide the relief because they are meant to service mainly the rural and uh, the areas that are difficult to reach. So that is what their priority is. But with the challenges that we're having, we've now been deploying them. And they've been proving to be very successful in terms of coverage of schools. I mean, in the past year, by the end of the year, we only had about 1,000 uh, children who did not have bed certificates. Upon investigation, most of them were children of foreign nationals who were already in schools. 
which takes me to another point. You will remember, Chair, that there was a, a court judgment that said you cannot chase uh, children away from school on the basis that they are of foreign nationals. So you will get foreign national uh, children who are going through school as a result of that particular uh, court judgment. One issue that I think we, we need to speak uh, with a single voice, particularly at the level of parliament and everywhere we go as members of parliament, is around on how do we deal with the immigration program that we face as a country. I don't think we need to have, you know, treatment that is different on the basis of the person that you are dealing with. We need to be firm and be decisive. If a person does not qualify for citizenship, we should not be trying to create ways in laws to make a person qualify for citizenship. We should be able to have clear cut ways that if you don't qualify, you don't qualify. And there should not be an expectation from home affairs to give people citizenship who do not qualify for citizenship. And as such, proper procedures must be followed. If a foreign national child is in South Africa, they need to get a study visa for them to be able to start. And we need to, to process them in that particular way so that we have a sense of decisiveness and uh, we discourage illegal immigration because some of the way we will deal with things sort of promotes uh, illegal immigration. And uh, the issue of the 180,000 Zimbabweans, I'm not aware of any 180,000 Zimbabweans that are facing deportation. What you will have uh, been referring to is the issue of the Zimbabwean special permit, where we have said within the next uh, 12 months, I think now it's almost seven months or so that are remaining, those who had access to the Zimbabwean special permits are now supposed to go and look for alternative visa regimes in which they must apply to be part of and then stay in the country in that way. Because we can't consistently extend a, a, a dispensation that was sort of meant for a specific purpose because it was due to the economic situation of Zimbabwe. And when we had that Zimbabwean special permit, it had to come to an end and we are giving a period of 12 months for all Zimbabweans who were under that particular dispensation to then apply for this visa us, which will be take which will be processed through only one-on-one -on -one cases. Most of the questions that we're responding here, Chair, are as per request from the portfolio committee in the letter that was written to us. Uh, the issue of paternity test, uh, I think it's an issue that is very important for this uh, for, for this portfolio committee. Is that paternity test are there as a last result if we can't find another way of proving that the father is indeed the father? And they are also there as a means of internal control. I mean, if we were to wake up today and say no one requires a paternity test, we can just show up at a home affairs office and say this is your child, and then we register that child. You can imagine the influx of foreign nationals who will then come and say, look, oh, we've seen it with the marriages of convenience, where people marry because of convenience and it's become a fraudulent scheme. So we identify these risks early, and then we put up internal control mechanisms. So the issue of paternity tests are also there as internal control mechanisms. I think that uh, Mr. Skama has dealt with the issue of how we intend to make them accessible, easily accessible, particularly for the poor and the downtrodden. Lastly, we do register children after 30 days, 
but it is easier and we recommend that children must be registered within 30 days because we don't need a lot of documentation then. And uh, we have not yet covered all the hospitals, but we continue opening uh, our footprint in hospitals to make it easier for mothers to register the birth of their children. We have been opening some in the Eastern Cape recently, another one uh, in Gauteng that we opened up recently. We are going to be going to KZN, opening up in another hospital, I think in a couple of weeks time. So we are growing that particular infrastructure. Ultimately, we want to have a reach in a substantial number of hospitals. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. And uh, we will then respond to the other questions in writing as you had uh, suggested as well. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, DG. I mean, DM with your team. Uh, we really appreciate uh, on how you have responded to this. But uh, it's not the end of the day. We will keep on asking questions, even in writing, and we will expect you to do as such uh, by answering us in written form. Thank you very much. I think for now we have to move to uh, justice. And if I am allowed by the members, we have to excuse you to go and do other uh, responsibilities. Unless there's something that needs you, but I don't think so. Thank you ever so much for your presence in this uh, meeting that is very crucial, critical and crucial. Uh, then if we agree to move on, the other briefing that we have to get is justice. Can we request a DSD to introduce themselves? Can we give over to Isabel to, uh, to introduce the team that has joined us and give over to Department of Justice to introduce themselves? Thank you very much. Where is Isabel? Honorable member, I'm here. I was trying to unmute. I'm sorry about that. Over to you first. Good morning, honorable member. Uh, Chairperson, honorable members. Um, I'm Isabella Sukawan from the Department of Social Development. Um, I want to start by apology. Uh, in, in the morning when the department was called, nobody responded. But I got the report that officials were here. I'm not sure why they did not say that they are here. Uh, the only confusion uh, is that they confused themselves when DG's name was called. But for the mere fact that they are representing the department, they could have said we are here. But I want to apologize on behalf of the DG and on behalf of myself and you know the senior officials in the department that uh, when we were called, we did not respond. Uh, I unreservedly apologize for that. Yeah. Yeah. Gigi is not able to come because uh, there's a, another important commitment that he, he was forced you know, to attend to, uh, which relates to issues of ACP, as uh, we are in a, uh, in a period where we are supposed to uh, wrap up on the ACPs. DPME was here to give them report in terms of you know, the evaluations that we have done. And he has asked me to apologize on his behalf. Uh, with us here, uh, honorable members, we've got my, uh, 
10 officials from the department. Most of them are from uh, uh, adoptions. We've got adoptions. We've got from the ones that are here legislation also. Hello. We've lost to Isabel. Can you hear me, member? Yes, we hear you now. You said uh, DG won't make it for the meeting. Yes, yes. Uh, DG won't make it for the meeting. Uh, she's he's, uh, in the process of ensuring that he's championed the finalization of APP with DPME. They are giving us a report on their assessment so that we can be able to meet the deadline for the submission. He sent his apology. And I'm saying here, um, honorable members, we are with... Um, 10 members from the department, and they have been there, you know, from the beginning. It's just that maybe honorable members, member did not recognize them. Uh, we've got uh, Mathadze from the legislation, and we've got Rosina from adoptions. We've got Kinsey also from adoption. We've got Nokutula from legislation. I think Advocate Lada also joined, who is presently on leave, but she, he managed to join. Uh, we've got Ndivuyo from adoption. We've got uh, Dr. Mabi from adoption. We've got Yvonne from OVC. And we've got oh, uh, David from Office on the Rise of a Child. They've been in the meeting. Uh, and yeah, and I, I still repeat that we are very much sorry about what happened. Members. Thank you, honorable members. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Isabel. It's strange that they have been with us from the beginning. I requested them to introduce themselves. They didn't. Nevertheless, we wish to welcome them. Can we go straight to Department of Justice Department and first introduce themselves? Well, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members of the Committee. Uh, my name is Advocate uh, Siabi Matube, the Chief Family Advocate in the Department of Justice. I've got with me uh, the members of the delegation who will also introduce themselves very quickly. Thank you, Chair. Morning, uh, this is Advocate Praise Kambula. I'm heading a unit that is responsible for the implementation of the pieces of legislation that relates to the protection of the rights of, um, of, um, of women, children, and uh, persons with disabilities and older persons. Thank you. Good morning, Chair and Honourable Members. My name is Shamayne Bardnors. I'm the Director for Child Justice and Family Law in the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. Honourable Chair, may I take this opportunity as well to uh, register the apologies from our Minister and Deputy who could not join this meeting uh, due to Cabinet committees that are currently underway. And uh, the DG and the acting uh, DDG court services were also with us here at nine o'clock when the meeting started, uh, but they had to excuse themselves to go and join the departmental uh, strike plan session, which is underway. Um, the department is uh, here, uh, honorable chair, to deal with those questions 
uh, that uh, were contained in the letter dated the 17th of February 2022. Uh, maybe at this uh, early stage, I should also mention uh, how the, the, that the judiciary is not part of the Justice Department. So our presentation will focus on those areas uh, which uh, pertain to the Justice Department. Um, if I, uh, Honorable Chair, with your permission, I may go straight into the questions. Um, the first of, of the questions uh, was uh, relating to the magistrates and family advocates being biased against uh, biological fathers in custody, divorce, and separation uh, cases. Um, maybe I should start by explaining uh, who family advocates are. Uh, family advocates are officers of the court who are admitted in terms of the Admission of Advocates Act, uh, which is administered by the Legal Practice Council. And uh, the professional conduct and ethics are controlled by those bodies. And should an, a family advocate be found to be conducting themselves other than what the professional ethics of, uh, uh, dictate, the general counsel of the bar can disbar them if they are found guilty of that uh, unbecoming conduct. And the second thing is that uh, the family advocate has been created by statute, namely the Mediation Incident Divorce Matters Act of 24 of 1987. And it has given family advocates the powers and duties of what they can do uh, uh, in matters of custody, divorce, and separation. Firstly, they are empowered by Section 4 to conduct an inquiry to furnish the court with a report on the best interest of the child. They are empowered to adduce evidence and cross-examination of witnesses at the hearing of the action uh, in court or the hearing of an application. The family advocates inquiry is completely focused on the child. The family advocate goes into the inquiry seeking to establish what the developmental needs of the child are, how best those needs will be met within the context of the reconstituted family arrangements or post-parental separation after considering the personal circumstances of each of the parents or caregivers or litigants for that matter. So the inquiry is conducted in a multidisciplinary matter with the assistance of a family counselor. A family counselor is also uh, described in the Mediation in Certain Divorce Matters Act. Uh, in the instance of the Department of Justice, it is a specialized social worker who conducts a forensic investigation and evaluation of the facts and circumstances in each case, insofar as they impact on the welfare or the best interests of the child. And then they will make a recommendation to the family advocate in a nutshell, in, it means when the litigation comes up, the family counselor is going to be the expert witness of the family advocate. Then after receiving the report of the family counselor, the family advocate applies the law 
to the findings of the family counselor as well as all relevant factors within the application or action and then finishes a report with recommendations to the court as required by the act so that that also should say that the family advocate is not the final arbiter of the case but merely makes a recommendation to the court the final decision lies with the court whether or not to accept the recommendations made by the family advocate while considering the report and recommendation of the family advocate the court will naturally determine whether or not the family advocate has acted and reported appropriately and in accordance with the law so that is another level of scrutiny that the family advocate uh, comes under besides professional ethics besides uh, the, the, the processes and procedures then upon adjudication the, the report of the family advocate gets scrutinized again each case is determined on its own merits the needs of each individual child as well as each child's developmental stage will also form part of the factors that inform the decision in determining the methods of a child's welfare as well as previous decided cases of the competent court. So if, if, if one looks at all these factors that I have stated, um, one can clearly see that uh, the question of the family advocate being biased against one or any other party of the proceeding or a parent or a caregiver does not arise, nor does the process described here in above, as well as professional ethics leave room uh, open for any uh, family advocate bias. Right. Um, the next question, uh, Chair, uh, Honorable Chair, relates to the family advocates using divorce and custody processes or expenses to enrich themselves. The question in itself is not very, very clear, but maybe uh, the following will set it in perspective. In South African law, court processes are determined and legislated and legislated by acts of parliament, also by regulations, also by uniform rules of court, magistrate court rules in, in the lower courts, as well as the practice manuals that are drawn up uh, by the various heads of court. That this is in the instance of the High Court and the regional court presidents have also got their own separate practice manuals. The application of the foregoing legal frameworks have been interpreted also in decided cases and are upheld in accordance with the well-established principle of stare decisis. Stare decisis, it forms part of South African law. It's well entrenched in South African law. What it simply means is that uh, a court he hearing a matter is bound by a previous decision of the same or higher court. So that, that is how formalistic our processes are in not just custody, in any matter. That, uh, that, that is had in front of our courts. 
So um, the, that the, 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 the family advocates are able to use uh, processes to enrich themselves and uh, does, does not arise. Secondly, family advocates are officials in the employ of the Department of Justice. They do not stand to draw fees from individual cases to conduct themselves otherwise, that is if they were uh, making money from individual cases that come before them, would constitute both a criminal offense and a breach of the departmental code of conduct. And any such conduct would be reported to the relevant authorities. And as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, um, the, the general counsel of the bar will also uh, take action against a family advocate that does such. Also, the Family Advocate's Office is responsible for two of the department's key performance indicators uh, that are in the department's annual performance plan, which bear specific predetermined targets, namely to finalize 80% of the cases which are registered with them between a period of 12 months. Besides it being almost impossible to manipulate processes for personal advantage, the family advocate has got the responsibility to meet these targets, and these targets are subject to scrutiny by, among others, the Auditor General. Then the next question, uh, which the department will endeavor to respond to, Honorable Chair, is the one pertaining to the long delays in the application and renewal of foster care orders. The department uh, with, uh, in this uh, environment has got the responsibility to support courts. They support the children's courts. This they do by capturing data relating to children's courts proceedings on the integrated case management system, which is popularly known as ICM, ICMS. This is uh, our uh, electronic uh, reporting system where, which is utilized. The core drivers of the court proceedings in renewal of foster care orders and related matters are the social workers and the magistrates. What do we see from the reports from the ICMS? Uh, that the predominant reasons for the postponement of foster care applications, and this, uh, this covers the period 1st April 2020 to February 2022. Uh, the front runner there is postponement for further investigation, followed by, uh, and the percentages are reflected there in the presentation, uh, further investigation accounts for 43%. Notice to appear in court accounts for 16%, outstanding information for 15, review appeal for 12, and uh, less than 10 are parties involved being absent from court or outcomes from form 30 or social worker absent or the child being absent from court. Uh, that is the part that we are able to pick up uh, as support uh, role players to the uh, to the children's court. Right, the ICMS children's court provides data captured by the clerks of the courts from the case records uh, that flow from the court proceedings. With its restricted administrative role in the management of foster care matters, 
The department is therefore unable to analyze the statistics which are captured in the ICMS into deeper detail further than uh, just the analysis that was given in the previous slide. The judiciary and the Department of Social Development are therefore better placed to provide the diagnostics, the explanations, and uh, the reasons for postponement in deeper and more analytic detail, since they are the key drivers in the management of court processes that may, in, uh, that may impact on the finalization of uh, foster care owners. However, it should be noted that the reasons for postponement captured on the ICMS may not necessarily reveal the decisive and determinant factors which contribute to these delays. We, uh, the department is just sharing uh, the information that it obtains from, uh, from the courts. Then there was a recommendation also in the letter that uh, contact courts that can build up institutional expertise and experience when it comes to conflict over contact and care of children. Uh, we are not sure what understanding to attach to, to the concept of contact courts because these are not provided for in the Children's Act. However, the Children's uh, Courts, are, the jurisdiction is described in the Children's Act, at, uh, which is very, very, very broad. Uh, in nature, um, in Section 45 of the Children's Act, for instance, uh, it says that the Children's Court may hear matters uh, which involve the protection and well-being of children, the care or contact of a child, the paternity of a child, the support of a child, the provision of an early childhood development services, the prevention or early intervention of services, cases of mal maltreatment, abuse, neglect, degra degradation or exploitation of a child, except in criminal prosecutions, and a whole list of, 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 of areas that the Children's Court uh, can deal with. Um, children's Court are specialized uh, courts dealing with these matters. Um, a, a small amount of these uh, kind of matters are also uh, heard in the high courts. So we, 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 we were a bit at a loss to attach meaning to those, but the courts that can hear contact courts, they, uh, um, there are 416 children's courts in the magistrate courts, that is the permanent magistrate courts. And then if we include the branch courts and the periodical courts, we sit with a grand total of 723 courts, which in our country can, uh, can hear contact matters. Uh, and also uh, section 42 of uh, the Children's Aid, said for purposes of this act, every magistrate court as defined in the Magistrate Courts Act 1944 shall be a children's court and shall have jurisdiction on any matter arising from the application of this act uh, from the area of its jurisdiction. So uh, Madam Chair, the, the Honorable Chair, the, the, those are, uh, are the attempts to, to, to tackle the 
recommendation for contact codes. Um, and um, yeah, I think we will, the department will leave it there. Um, that will be the conclusion of uh, the presentation of the department. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Chair. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, are there no additions from your side? Um, I will check with Chair. Uh, the indication is that there are no additions. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Okay, thank you very much. I can see that there are people that are picking up and it's uh, if they would like to say something. Thank you, thank you for that uh, brief and to the point uh, presentation. Can I then, and they are disturbing you. <laughs> they are disturbing you, they must not because we are able to see them uh, in the video. And I understand that this is video lies and also it's in channel 408 and it's direct. So they are being sent. Can we then, thank you very much. Can we then uh, check uh, the honorable members? Yes, I see the hands. I see the hand of honorable Masangu, honorable um, Alex and honorable Jamie. Oh, there's also Kizela. Can I give over to these honorable members to engage with your presentation? Thank you. Over to you, Honorable Masango. Thank you, Chair. And I would like to thank uh, the Department of Justice for the presentation. Um, and the, the reason that my questions, Chair, have to do with what I believe the... the uh, the honourable advocate, I mean, the, the advocate uh, presented uh, to say that they are, the, the role of the Department of Justice is restricted and other issues may be um, directed to the judiciary. Now, I, I, I just need to mention uh, the issues that I thought that the Department of Justice would touch on as, as it relates to the, to the Children's Amendment Bill. Uh, and then the, the, the department will say that, yes, those are the things that the, the judiciary must deal with. The first of those being the, the applications for guardianship. Uh, where there were there were comments that were made during the early parts of the public, especially national public hearings, by the organisations such as your Centre for Child Law, Cindy, and uh, the Children's Institute, who were saying that the children's um, court should be able to deal with all issues relating to children so that there, is, there are no issues, that there are no cases that need to go to the high court because there are expenses that are, in, are involved. And also the children are not, there is no express 
sort of law that protects the the children, the, the, the identity of children and things like that. They even, Chairperson, had the examples of where uh, matters were handled by the High Court, and then as a result, the, 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 the names or identities of children were actually uh, had to be published because the, the High Court does not provide expressly for the uh, protection of, of children's information. The other uh, section also that I, I would have thought that the, the Department of Justice would have touched if um, it, because it has to do with the uh, the the section six and seventy four. Oh, this is what I've just spoken to the children's uh, right to privacy in children's court proceedings. The other one, chair, is where it talks about the certificate section twenty one a that talks about the certificate um, a, 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 the process for unmarried dads to be expanded to include that in case where mom is dead or absent. So my question, I guess, I cannot elaborate on asking the question because I also, number one, uh, I've just realized that there was a letter and that letter would have then uh, sort of cast the parameters or the, the the scope of the responses from the department. And number two, I am not sure if the letter did say or even provide the information that was deliberated upon during the national um, the national uh, uh, public hearings. So I I just feel like. I, I, I can't say that the Department of Justice must answer these questions when I don't know what the letter actually that they receive was covering. So, Chair, I just would leave my question there, but those are the sections and the parts of the uh, Children's Amendment Bill that one would have thought that the Department of Justice would actually um, respond to uh, in this in this meeting. So thank you, Chair. Can we go to Honorable Alex whilst uh, Honorable Jane is struggling with connecting? Oh, I'm around here. I'm around. So okay. Much. Okay. Again, again. Okay. Yes. Again, and the Apulela, Gapulu, Galomsu Zonti Nigaon. But the Funubuza and Yaskelela shame and the Fanga Rapshe. I didn't hear properly, so you will forgive me. I want to uh, ask this question I had about this children's court, but my issue is that when the child is granted to the, to my, let's say the child is granted to my husband, and then later I'm not able to can see my child. When I go there, I have to uh, pay money for those social worker there for us to accompany me, the social worker of my husband, the, that I have been uh, 
paid by my husband. I have to go and pay again. And then when I talk to my child, they will be just here. So uh, I, I, I don't understand this issue. That's why I'm raising it here, so that if there's a help, uh, uh, I should get that help for somebody who have asked this question while uh, we were at the public hearing. I think the chapters can, can you, uh, maybe you remember and also uh, Honorable Bilangulu when that lady was crying and said her child is taken from Joburg to East London, Port Elizabeth somewhere there. And then she don't know where, but when she's supposed to visit, she has to pay money. So I just want to ask, what about this money? Why when uh, I want to see my child, I have to pay this amount of money? What caused that? Is because uh, uh, I'm forbidden to see my child, or what is that? Thank you, Chair. Okay. Thank you, Honorable Mangani. You have also assisted me because I was going to ask that question. Thanks for that. Then, can we go to Honorable Alex? Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the department for the presentation. Chairperson, my question centers around capacity. Um, you know, what does um, the department's um, family advocate capacity look like in relation to um, caseload and backlogs? Um, because it then ties in to the question of fees. So if family advocates don't charge fees, you know, the likelihood of um, people using accessing those services are obviously greater because it's, it's then free. But then I think the, the members of the public, um, you know, when they mention about these exorbitant fees that they have to pay in terms of legal fees and psychological fees comes into when they seek private um, legal counsel. And it's my understanding that, you know, one of the recommendations were, you know, standardizing of, of fees, legal fees, but it's my understanding that, you know, as government, we can't influence um, the private um, legal fraternity and the fees they charge. So I'd just like some clarity um, from the department on that, uh, some clarity um, on the capacity challenges. And then also from the side of social development, you know, they say it's a specialized social worker that has to deal with all these cases. Um, and I'd like to know what is our capacity looking like on these specialized social workers? And then also, I mean, our social workers are the ones who then have to go back and also help with the implementation of the, the parenting plan. So there's a lot of work and a lot of pressure um, on our social workers when it comes to these cases. And um, the, I, I just want to go to my notes quickly. And then also, um, you know, on the, the template that was given from the ICMS, and our DOJ says they can't see information further than what is presented to us here. And, and social development will be able to give us more information. So my question for social development then is, 
of this further reason for postponement, further investigations, that's at 43%. What exactly are we looking at here? Is it because the social worker um, hasn't done enough um, of the legwork and therefore it gets thrown out? And this again speaks to the capacity of our social workers. So I would like, even if they do it in writing, for the Department of Social Development to perhaps just unpack this information that is now found on this ICMS management, just so that we can understand where the real hiccups are um, in terms of those backlogs. And then lastly, Chairperson, um, I would like to um, please request through you, Chair, if the department can please give us an updated um, status report on the foster care backlogs um, per provinces. Um, last year, you know, we got some regular um, status reports and it's just been a while since we've looked at those um, um, foster care backlogs. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, thank you, Alex. Uh, uh, Honorable Kizel. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. By Bonita. Thank, thank you, you Chairperson. I don't know who's disturbing now. Thank you. But apology for that one. Okay. Um, my questions derive from my notes of the public hearings. So if my issues are related to the judiciary, please um, just leave them unanswered then because I'm totally confused now. So my first question is, out of the Germiston public hearings, it was said that 92% of cases, in 92% of cases, children automatically goes to the mother. So I want to know how often do fathers get full custody in South Africa? Then in relation to perjury, I was laughed at because I didn't know what was a silver bullet. And I then afterwards heard it was malicious parent syndrome. So I want to know regarding perjury and false accusations. There was a plight for proper investigations and accountability and repercussions for false accusations or perjury in terms of custody dispute cases. So, and they also asked that there be charges for perjury that must be automatically mandatory. I want to know the views of the department on that, please. And then it was strongly argued on the ground that Parental alienation must be declared as child abuse. I want to know what is their views on that, please, Chair. And then you may only be 18 years before you can relinquish your parental rights in South Africa. And your child can then be adopted when you're 18. So in the meantime, you you need the legal guardian's consent for adoption. So what about teen mothers who don't want their babies? And how is an unfit mother then in the best interest? of the child. Thank you, Chair. Okay, Honorable Polnit. Um, thank you, Chair. Chair, I want to ask you um, patience because I wasn't part of your um, roadshow. Um, I just became a member um, a month ago. I just want to ask the question and it's something that is, that is, that is bothering me. 
because we are talking about children here. I met a grandmother um, from Rustenburg, and this grandmother related to me a story that she had written to the Minister of Police, and she's been to all the departments, social development, everything. What happened to grandchildren? She's only having one daughter. The grand, the daughter is having two children, a son and a the girl is 17 and the, girl, the boy is 11 years old. December, they went to the father's place because the father's working in the mines in Rustenburg. They went to Eastern Cape. The children never came back. She herself went to Eastern Cape to look for the children. She can't find the children. She's hearing that the children is in KZN. She traveled to KZN. No one knows about the children. The problem that she's having, the daughter of 17 years old must go to Tigerberg Hospital every month because she's having epilepsy and I don't know what the 11 year old is very it's introverted doesn't speak much the grandmother's very upset because no one is assisting her she's been to police stations she's been to social workers she's been everywhere and no one is assisting her and she was crying when she was telling me she don't know what to do because the father is in the mines he goes there they come out late at night she tried to get hold of him because the girlfriend is also staying with him and the mother is so sick her daughter is so sick at home that she can't even get up because this thing of the children not being found is making her very ill. I just want to know from the Department of Justice, what is the next step that this, um, this grandmother can take because the daughter's not able to do anything because of the sickness that she's having, of worrying about the children? What can the grandmother do? Because the grandmother been to the police, she's she wrote to um, um, Minister Beck Kelly. She wrote to the. She went to social development. She went to everyone to assist, but no one is assisting her. What else can she do um, to make sure that she get the children back? Because no one is taking her serious. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Polly. Yes, I just want uh, other questions have been asked by honorable members, but um, also thinking about Father for Justice that were crying, crying because of the court orders that are having, that they are having court orders and they are not sure exactly what is it that we are amending on the bill, on the children's bill, because there is a clause that is talking about the responsibility uh, by the father, which was not there before, but uh, you get most of the fathers crying. Otherwise, the other second question that I was going to ask, I think Jane has already highlighted it in terms of the court order that goes to a mother of a child and the mother of a child then had a depression and uh, because of the abuse, but now she is recovering. She has recovered, but she is unable to get um, access to the child. What is it that is supposed to happen? It's been uh, quite a long time. This lady crying and crying to us checking on how and where can she go with this. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I will give over to the department to assist us. If there are, there's anything that they need to, to, to respond in return, we, we are able to get that, but we are free to, to wait for the correct responses of this. Thank you very much. Over to you, the department.
Thank you uh, once again, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, I will start uh, by mentioning, Honorable Chair, that the department has not become privy to the list of issues that uh, came forward uh, during the public hearings. All that we have uh, before us is the letter dated the 17th of February 2022, which listed the issues that we have dealt with in our presentation. However, uh, we will uh, respond at an opportune time to any additional information that is required from the department in, in writing. Then I will zoom into the questions uh, that were asked by the various members. Uh, applications for guardianship in the act as it currently stands, uh, indeed, Section 45.3 limits guardianship applications to only the high court and divorce courts when, 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 when they are hearing a divorce. So um, high court applications, yes, are, are, are well known to be intricate and uh, forcing people to acquire the services of legal representatives who charge fees and uh, the charging of fees is regulated by the legal practice council because they are currently the body that is regulating the entire legal profession in respect of both uh, the advocates and the and the attorneys then uh, following that was a question on an uh, uh, protection of privacy of of children uh, Section six of the Divorce Act, as it stands now, uh, protects the publication of identities or any particulars that can reveal the identity of a child in a matter. And uh, there is a constitutional court case which has also sought to take it further and uh, protect the identity of children uh, even more. Um, I apologize, uh, Honorable Chair, I do not have the citation of the case at the end, but uh, the Constitutional Court has made a pronouncement on that. But currently in legislation, we just have the, the Divorce Act that is protecting children. Right. Uh, the question on Section 21A, I didn't get quite clearly, but I will attempt to, 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 to answer it to the extent that I understood it uh, with the certificate of outcome. Section 21 of the Children's Act pertains to uh, unwed fathers, the children uh, or, or fathers of children born out of wedlock. The first part of Section 21 uh, says the family advocate and other classes of persons, social workers or other suitably qualified persons, should make a determination uh, taking into account the, 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 the circumstances of the parties, uh, whether the father has met the criteria that is listed, for instance, has, has, has taken a bona fide effort to become involved in the upbringing of the child or has been contributing uh, in good faith 
to the financial expenses of the child or has paid damages in terms of African customary law. And once a father is found to have met that criterion, then he is deemed to have acquired full parental responsibilities and rights. Then the next step is the determination of how to exercise those uh, parental responsibilities and rights. And that is where mainly the, the, the conflict uh, arises. And that is where uh, one uh, finds that the courts need to be involved. Then the family advocate will start by uh, attempting in terms of section 33 to uh, assist the parties to come up with a parenting plan. Should the family advocate not be uh, successful in um, getting the parties to enter into a parenting plan, then we issue the parties with a certificate of outcome so that they, the matter can get rechanneled to litigation in the children's court. Then the children's court readily knows that uh, mediation was attempted and the matter was not settled. Therefore, it is a matter that requires uh, adjudication within the litigation context. So um, it is not yet applicable to mums. It is a section that makes provision for the parental responsibilities and rights of fathers of children that were born out of wedlock. In instances where a mum is deceased, uh, this section 33 and other uh, subsequent sections uh, uh, after section 21 that we can assist them because the, the, the children's act is so broadly worded that uh, you, you know we, we, we can also uh, bring people on in terms of uh, parental responsibilities and rights agreements. Uh, which can, in certain instances, confer interested parties with rights that they would uh, that that they did not automatically have. Uh, so the the the, the 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 section twenty one does exclude mothers, but mothers are not left without the recourse. They've got other sections that they can resort to. Then the next question uh, is the capacity in the office of the family advocate. It is indeed so, Honorable Chair, that the uh, office of the family advocate is quite overstretched. Uh, we have been carrying a backlog of approximately three and a half thousand cases when we opened this current financial year which is about to end and the reports for February uh, indicating that we will be carrying a, a similar load of backlog into the next financial year. However, Honorable Chair, the efforts that we are taking to alleviate the, the, the backlog. The backlog alleviation is going to be in our um, branch operational plan in the next financial year. The legislation that I have referred to in my presentation, uh, which created the Family Advocate, which is the Mediation in Certain Divorce Matters Act, allows for the appointment of ad hoc practitioners. It's, it empowers the Minister of Justice to uh, appoint family advocates and family counselors on an ad hoc basis. So we are setting aside money and uh, we are reviewing the tariffs 
so that uh, they become market related. We have reviewed them a long time ago already. Uh, we are getting them to become market related so that we can attract uh, practitioners that can come in and uh, assist us with the backlog. So we are really hoping to dent the backlog. Uh, we are also uh, exploring opportunities for overtime to be uh, employed by our own officials in addition to the appointment of ad hocs uh, to bring down the, 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 the backlog that we have, because we are very, very uh, sensitive to the fact that, you know, um, justice delayed for a child could uh, harm the welfare of a child for a very long time. Then the other question was uh, uh, came with regard to the standardization of fees of practitioners because uh, they charge exorbitant fees. Um, the standardization and the determination of fees of uh, practitioners uh, is the purview of the legal uh, practice council, which has now taken charge of uh, both the, 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 the arms of the profession. However, this legal aid that uh, can assist indigent parents that cannot afford those fees and those that qualify uh, for the legal aid threshold that can assist parents free of charge. Um, and also, the courts can uh, appoint a pro bono legal uh, representation um, that uh, the, the number of hours that practitioners must give back free of charge that they can assist uh, uh, people with. There is a pro bono.org uh, which uh, uh, parties can go to to see if they can uh, also receive uh, uh, legal assistance without having to pay for it. The next question uh, was uh, directed to DSD. I'll skip that. And then um, the question that the department can answer is the one, uh, children automatically uh, go to, to the mother. I wish to emphasize, Honorable Chair, that every case is determined by its own merits. There is no blanket uh, decision-making. And the decision-making, as I indicated in the presentation, goes through at least three levels. The parties get seen, then a family counselor goes and does a forensic investigation, which includes speaking to collaterals and seeking evidence otherwise of school teachers of, or whoever uh, may become relevant in the determination and put it together in a report. And uh, then the family advocate comes in and applies the applicable law to the findings of the social worker and makes a recommendation to court. Then the matter gets heard before the court. Uh, the evidence of witnesses can be adduced, witnesses can be cross-examined uh, for the judicial officer to get to the root of the matter. It is not as simplistic as uh, the, the, perhaps the public perceives it to be. Uh, it, 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 it is a, the outcome of a case goes through a number of levels of scrutiny before a conclusion is reached. The issue of uh, 
people perjuring themselves uh, before the family advocate. Um, the family advocate consults with the parties. We do not take statements under oath. Where there is a dispute of fact or a dispute in any of the merits, it gets reported in the office of uh, in the report of the family advocate uh, because the dispute must be tested in court, and that is why the family advocate can appear in court to adduce evidence and to cross-examine witness. So, in any matter, there can be three lawyers. The family advocate becoming the third one uh, to come and uh, lead evidence, cross-examination, uh, and, and 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 that so that uh, then the testimony that happens in court happens under oath. And that is the point at which the offense of perjury can be uh, determined whether it is, it is taking place or not. Then the last question, Honorable Chair, um, relates to uh, parental alienation being declared an act of child abuse. This term parental alienation is a term that uh, one encounters in the circles of clinical psychology. And the psychologists that we have spoken to have indicated that it is quite a difficult concept to deal with. It has not been classified as a syndrome. It has not been classified as a mental illness. It, it, you know, it is just a, it is a concept out there. I see it personally a lot in a, the American family law but it is a concept which is still very, very, very elusive. Uh, what uh, parents perceive is when social workers look at the developmental needs of a child, the history of the child's care comes into play. The parents that has been hands off prior to the separation with regard to the care of the child will obviously not have established as strong a bond as the other parent. Now, when the scales get tipped in favor of the parent that has always been hands-on, then it is perceived as bias in favor of that parent. And it can be any parent for that matter. We, we, we have uh, made recommendations to either gender, of parents. We have made recommendations in respect of same-sex parenting. A parent is but a parent. We do not look at the gender of a parent. What determines is, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of social workers in this meeting. The social workers will ask a child, when you fall, who do you run to? And then the child will say, mommy, when you come to school, who gives you lunch, mommy? Who baths you in the morning, mommy? Or whoever parent does those things. And the age of a child, you see, it's a very, it's a child of tender age who requires that kind of level of care. Then the, skill, the scales will become tipped in favor of that parent. And unfortunately for us, uh, the, 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 the other parent will perceive it as bias. But uh, fortunately, uh, uh, Madam Honorable Chair, the department has declared 2022 the year of the community. We will put our energy, a lot of it, into community awareness raising. 
and uh, calling on also for co-parenting and shared parenting and encouraging parents to become involved with their children early on in the children's lives so that when separation, divorce or, or, or breakdown happens, then the two parents come in on equal footing. Then, you know, when one does a, a, a parenting plan, the parents are able to be allocated equal roles rather than having to determine the one that was more involved with the child and the other one being less involved with the child. Um, I think we will take it that far, Honorable Chair, and thank you once again for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you very much, Advocate. Maybe it's also wise to get uh, your number so that if we've got any issues that would like to get uh, clarity on them, we are able to just communicate direct with you. I don't think it will harm you in terms of that. Not cases at all. That are yes, there are cases that are being reported to us where to go and they come to us as people that are serving in the social development committee and we don't have answers especially this one that we are talking it is on a high level it's not easy to understand the sections and all those stuff but if we keep on communicating with you i think you will be of assistance thank you very much for okay i see the hand <laughs> of uh, Jay, because is there any other hand? Yes. Yes, I want to say something. Okay. Uh, you'll say something after Honorable Jane. Jane, is it an old hand or? She can say it, but it's not the old hand, Chair. It's a new hand, ne? Yeah, Just yeah. Uh, uh, let me give you first because your hand was up first and then give uh, Honorable Bilangul. Gisela, it's an old hand, I suppose. Thank you very Thank much, Chairperson. Uh, yes, I'm listening. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for also asking uh, the contact, where we can contact them. Because of that uh, question that I raised, uh, I didn't get it well. If I did, it means those people who, those women who doesn't have money, all, always they won't get to see their own child. Because Mina, I thought, uh, as they also dealing with this family cause or whatever, uh, maybe I was going to get uh, the assistance. Especially, it's not the 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 issue of culture because we represent black and white. So I don't want to say in this. I say I'm saying. That woman is white. No, I was. I, I, I just seek the 
the clarity so that I must be also able to clarify that particular woman. So this thing of numbers section, what what I didn't get it here. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Honorable Mangani. I think uh, she also made mention that she doesn't have uh, the case number so as to be able to answer us. Let's uh, Honorable Mangani give her an opportunity and forward to her uh, the case number so that she can be able to also assist us. Yeah, I you are right by saying she couldn't get into the deep details of assisting us on how to answer those. Can we then give over to Honorable Milampulu? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I didn't raise my hand uh, in the first place because uh, the issue that I wanted to raise is the one that we have just concluded with. Um, like uh, Honorable Mangani said, and yourselves has raised the issue of getting a contact from the advocate. There are a lot of issues that are, are happening, more especially when it comes to GBF. And most of the issues are being raised to the multi-party women caucus. So mm. I think it's good for us to raise these issues, where, whether we're going to raise it when we are in the Portfolio Committee for Social Development or in the caucus, in the women caucus. Two issues, the one that uh, Honorable Mangani raised of KP in Gauteng. I think the advocate really didn't answer it deeply so, but I think because we do have an info, some of the information as multi-party will forward the, the, the case or the issues revolving that and also to give the contact number of the lady that Honorable Mangani was talking about. The other one is for ambassador advocate, very, very I think this lady has got the case hanging in the courts of law for more than three years. She's been taken pillar to post because of the issue of GBV. It's like there are people who are known uh, to those that are serving in courts. So this woman is just taken pillar to post. They are, she has forwarded information to the Secretary of the Multi-Party. I think by getting those numbers, we'll be able to forward it to her also. Because really, we cannot say we are doing justice. Meanwhile, women also are still oppressing other women. Cases are not being handled in a correct manner, or the cases are not dealt accordingly in most of our courts in South Africa advocate, you need to know that, you need to take, to bear that in mind in order to deal with the issues because people are looking at us or are watching that really we are not doing justice. Women, where they are supposed to be comforted or where they are supposed to, to get held, they are failing to get that. And if it's a, in the court of law, where are they going to run to? Thank you, Chairperson. Okay, thank you, Honorable Gates. I think uh, the advocate has agreed to give us the number and he must also give us the second number so that if we are unable to get hold of her, we can also refer our issues to the 
next person who is closer to her. Yoli. Okay, thank you, Chairperson, uh, for this uh, opportunity. I just wanted to explain and uh, something that Honorable Masango has uh, uh, made an observation on chair regarding the um, some issues that were not responded to or presented in the in the presentation from the Department of Justice. I just want to maybe say, chair, if you remember, the our process is a bit skewed now. Last week, we were supposed to have a briefing from the, the sponsor of the bill, which is DSD. And that presentation would have covered all the inputs that were made by members of the public, both provincially and nationally, and uh, the submissions as well that we were received. So that, that now meeting was rescheduled for the 16th. So I just I spoke to Sis Lindy to, to get a sense of the procedure, how we should go forward with this. Because if the presentation had taken place and then the members felt like there are some issues that maybe they are not satisfied with, we could have quickly contacted the Department of Justice to say, what is now your input on this issue? But now the department as a sponsor of the bill, that is DSD, must first respond to all of those proposed amendments that were made in responding to the bill that they tabled in parliament. So having mm -hmm. said that, Chair, then the committee, unfortunately, it will have that uh, opportunity on the 16th with the department. So after that meeting or, or after the deliberations and the committee feels that the justice must still come back maybe and give their inputs on what is proposed by the Department of Social Development, there's nothing stopping a, a committee to invite the Department of Justice again to come and give their view on what is proposed by uh, DSD and the, and the members of the public. That's what I wanted to explain, but the observation by Mamu Masango is valid. Okay, thank you, thank you, yes, of course, it's like that, really. Uh, we have put the cut in front of the horses for now, but it, it doesn't uh, spoil most of other things. If the departments, both Home Affairs and, and Justice, because we requested them to also do their return uh, answers on few things that haven't been answered. Answered. So we will allow that maybe on the 16th to get uh, the responses. It will also assist us and try to make things easier for the DSD for that 16th. Uh, I think for now, I don't see any other hand except to say, uh, we have to thank, uh, or maybe, Advocate, do you have anything to say for now? Just as a closing. Advocate. Sorry, I was still muted. Uh, okay. There isn't much uh, to say, uh, Honorable Chair, except to profusely thank you, uh, and members of, 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 of the committee, we, uh, we remain available to respond to any uh, of the questions uh, that pertain to the department. And uh, if I am in order, uh, Honorable Chair, I can 
right now give my contact number and then I'll give my full contact details to our parliamentary liaison officer to send to your committee. Uh, my, my mobile number is 082 9225. 082 9225. Can you repeat yourself, ma'am? 082 yes. 9225. Yes. 5445. 5445. Yeah, then the, the specific cases that were raised uh, during this meeting, uh, Honorable Chair, um, perhaps can become resolved when we become armed with the full set of facts mm. and, and the merit of the case. Because it's yes. difficult if we are just sitting without the information. Okay. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, Advocate. Don't you have a second person? Because mm. at times you are busy, at times you are in court, etc. Don't you have an alternative one? Uh, perhaps uh, I, I will ask uh, Advocate Kambula to, to give her contact numbers as well, because uh, we, we work quite closely on, on issues of women and children. Yes, that will assist us. Advocate Kambula, your number. Thank you, Chair. It is 084. Yes. 084-702. Yes. 7122. I would also like just to say... No, no. Can you repeat yourself, uh, Advocate? Zero nine number. Zero eight two. Mm -mm. No, zero eight four. Zero eight four. It is zero eight four. Mm -hmm. Seven zero two. Yes. Seven one double two. Okay. May I also just to apprise the committee that the Department of Social Development is sitting in a number of structures that deal with issues that relate to the protection of the rights of children, which are chaired by the Department of, of Justice. So we have the full participation of your department. And also, um, there is one committee as well, which is called the... the the, um, the the directors general intersectoral committee on the management of sexual offenses um, where matters where then also the department of social development is part of and is also submitting reports annual reports to parliament via our minister so what i would like just to say is that um, we have um, a, 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 a wealth of and a rich relationship with the Department of Social Development in a number of issues, including with the implementation of the Children's Act. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Advocate. Uh, honorable members, uh, it seems as if I didn't want to give you DST because you still have an opportunity on the sixth go and do it. 
I can't close you out. Let me give you to say something. Thank you. Over to you, Isabel. Thank you very much, Stephen. And let me appreciate uh, the time that has been given to DSD. And also, indeed, I want to emphasize the fact that uh, we're working very well, you know, with the Department of Justice and other government departments in relation to issues that affect children. And we are together trying to find, you know, solutions in terms of the challenges that they are experiencing. Uh, I just want to share volume, please. Volume, uh, please. Okay, thank you, Chairperson. I was just saying that I just, indeed, I want to embellish the point that we are working very well with the Department of Justice and other government departments because of the intersectoral nature of issues of children that we are dealing with. And I also want to appreciate all the issues that have been raised uh, that relates to the Department of Social Development and to say that uh, we commit as the department that uh, we will submit, you know, um, the responses in writing. We've been submitting, we've got a report uh, on, 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 especially on foster care that we are submitting on quarterly basis, uh, you know, to the court, but we're also submitting to CCL. And we will be able to submit also to the portfolio committee to members. Thank you very much, members, for, for, for helping us. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Isabel. Uh, for now, the time I think it allows us to close the meeting and we are just on time. So thank you, I would like to thank everyone who has managed to attend the meeting and deliberate in the discussions. I think uh, so far so good. It's not as uh, we came to the meeting. There is a clear direction on how going forward on how to go forward in terms of the questions that were asked by the communities. Thanks ever so much for everyone who has managed to attend the meeting. Let me request you to close the meeting if there's anything. Is there anything, uh, is it Henen, Miss Henen, Hemen. Are you still in the meeting? No one. Okay, it's fine. The meeting has adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank, Thank you, so Chair. Much. Recording Thank stopped. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, Tati. We fukili. We fukili ngongwe. Aye, fukili. Hey, hey. Yeah. Tabula bula ban bangwaya ni mina ngaba tu kurbere. No, tabula bula. Yeah, sure.